Radio Theater in the air. Dedicated to man's imagination, the theater of the mind. You know what our call letters WGN stand for, don't you? Welcome to WGN Radio Theater. Special three-hour presentation. And your hosts, Carl Amari and Lisa Wolf. All right, about 10 minutes after 10 p.m. here on the WGN Radio Theater Program 459 in the series. It's March 7th. It's a Saturday. What's up, Lisa? Hey, Carl. We're all here, ready to go, play some great classic radio and have some fun on the radio. Yes, we have uh, Shante Garth is our producer in the booth, the best in the biz. She's great. She is. And we have Have Gun, Will Travel from 1960. How often do we play a classic radio show from 1960? I was mentioning to you this is much more modern. Yeah. Um, The information of what's going on in the world is much more modern than normal. Yep, good Western with John Daner coming your way just a few minutes. Then it's My Friend Irma, good comedy from 1948. Then a scary episode of The Sealed Book from 1945, which aired on this radio station, Mm -hmm. WGN, back in 1945. And then Suspense, another scary episode with Joseph Cotton starring in the pasteboard box, a very famous episode of Suspense from 1946. We'll also have Just the Facts and some other fun stuff, too. And we don't want to forget to mention it's daylight saving time mm-hmm. so at 2 a.m we will put the clocks forward one hour so it will be 3 a.m so we have a four hour show this evening um we've lost one hour but you know yeah the player will be on at 3 did you know that this is the last time we're doing daylight savings in illinois they passed a law this is true i'm not joking this is it. There's no more daylight savings. We're not moving the clock forward or back. Well, anymore. I didn't read that, but mm-hmm. it's daylight saving. Just it's the so last you know. one, though. Most people That's think it. it's daylight savings. Now, this is just Illinois. Other states, they're going to do it. But just in Illinois, this will be the last daylight savings, either forward okay, or back. but it's daylight saving. I know that. Daylight <laughs> saving. Uh-huh. Yeah. No plural? No plural. Okay. Okay. Well, well you, so we both learned you lear- something. You learned me we something. Bo- we both you learned, learned me something. something, Lisa. All right. <laughs> we'll be back with uh, Just the Facts and then Have Gun, Will Travel after these words. Well, you know what, Lisa? I, I'm sorry I may to be say, wrong. You, I may be wrong. You, you, this may not be the first time either that that's ever happened. Uh, but in this particular case, I, I never heard it and I couldn't believe it because there was about a bill. About daylight savings. Uh, we're talking about daylight saving Yeah, time. saving. <laughs> Well, so, I'm thinking about my savings of gold and silver in my uh, stock portfolio. Okay. <laughs> well, there was a bill passed in November that called for no longer doing that biannual clock change. But apparently that bill remains in legislative limbo in the House. And even if it gets signed into law, it may not take effect unless approved by the federal government. So the bottom line is only Hawaii and Arizona are the states granted with the waivers to abolish the biannual time So folks, changes. I know there are listeners that know the exact for sure, one hundred percent. Text us three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. That is the for when sure, I was 100%. driving here. I was talking to my brother who can't stand the Great Gildersleeve, mm, and he said, "Yeah, you know, there's no more daylight savings you time. You should probably find another source for your. Facts. Yeah, my brother is not going to be he my may not be source anymore. You just check, especially with me. since he doesn't like the Great Gildersleeve. I'll, I'll keep you up to date. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. 
The names have been changed to protect the innocent. So we're going to do a little Just the Facts segment. This is from 1960, the year of our first radio show, which is Have Gun, Will Travel. And I know we mentioned 1960 is at the very late end for classic radio. Of course, we're well into the television yeah, age. Yeah, I mean, I was born in 63, so three years three later. Three years, right? Yeah, I There mean, was Carl. Gosh. So August 1st of 1960, the twist by Chubby oh, Checker was released. Twist. Don't you just want to twist? What a great tune. So on August 6th, Chubby Chacker performed his version of the twist, which was written by Hank Ballard on the Dick Clark show. Mm-hmm. And it reached number one, of course, Dick Clark, right? It reached number one American in the Billboard. Bandstand. Right. It reached number one in the Billboard chart for the first time uh, in 1960. Then in 62, his version of the twist again hit number one in the Billboard chart, becoming the second song to ever be number one on two separate occasions. Do you know the first song because you do mm, i don't know what is it it's it's white christmas being oh, crosby's white christmas right so in 1988 the twist again became popular really uh, due to a new recording of the song by the fat boys which featured chubby checker hmm. so really this song is remember, just persisted through time and remember the game twister that was one of my favorite twister games. of course it makes me think twister. of you know you could play the twist while you're playing twister now that would be fun mm-hmm. maybe we should do that sometime <laughs> <laughs> All right, you're going to love this one, Carl. Right. On September 30th of 1960, this TV show premiered. Right? Now, we grew up with the Flintstones. Premiered at 8.30 p.m. on ABC and went till... It was a sep- primetime yes, television until show. September 30th, 19, uh, from 1960 till 1966. And like you said, was the first animated series to hold a primetime slot. Yeah. Amazing. That is because, I mean, this was like, what? A a, a cartoon in prime time? And everybody loves the Flintstones. it was super popular. And don't you just get that warm, fuzzy feeling still even today? So the Flintstones was the most financially successful and longest running network. Hanna-Barbera. Wait, animated television series for three decades until what animated show debuted in in 1989? I would say... Um, the Simpsons. Exactly, yeah. the Simpsons. Mm-hmm. So there you go. And yeah. of course, uh, in 2013, TV Guide ranked the Flintstones the second greatest TV cartoon of all time after The Simpsons. Wow, very and cool. And of course, there's still uh, many of these uh, actors that we hear on radio shows that we play here oh, all the sure, time. Oh, sure, sure. Alan Reed and Mel yeah. Blank and mm-hmm, B. Benaderet. Mm-hmm. So they're still... They were the voices pers- of the Flintstones. They sure were. Very cool. And... Do you want another yeah, fact? Sure. Okay. The movie to watch of 1960 is this. Psycho. Psycho. Don't you just know oh, that scene with man. the screeching violins right in the shower? Oh. That's what this is. That That's what that clip is from. You know from. what the blood was? You know, when they did this movie... And Alfred Hitchcock, you know, when its movie was in black and Directed white. Directed and produced by, Right, it was in black and white. Right, and then they used, you know, red, like, yep. pig blood or something. And, and when he looked at the film, he was like, I don't like it. It doesn't look like blood, even though it was real blood. Right. It's like, we have to change it. You know what they used no. in this movie no. for the blood? Mm-mm. Hershey's chocolate. Really? Yes. Hershey's 
chocolate. I never heard and that. And this I know for a fact, unlike you- <laughs> the daylight saving time. But yeah, Hershey's chocolate. Well, you know, Psycho was seen as a departure from his previous film, which was North by Northwest. Right. Because this was on a very low budget. It was black very and white, of course. Mm-hmm. And it was a television crew. So yep. um, this completely broke all conventions. That's because he was paying for it. You know that? He couldn't get backers. So he funded this movie himself. So he used his television crew Mm -hmm. to make this like on their off season and they shot it really quick and you know they made it into a 90 minute film but it was all done with his television crew on a skeleton crew well originally it really did get mixed reviews but ultimately um it was nominated for four academy awards best supporting actress very well director great movie 1960 wow a lot of good stuff 1960 lisa well have gun will travel was still on the radio in 1960. Kind of interesting when yes. you think about it, because really television had taken over. But this show is very different because it started as a TV show in 1957. Then over a year and a half later, it made a transition to radio. Now, that almost never no, happened. of course But not. you know why they did that? Because it was a cash cow for CBS on television. It was such a popular show. And then they figured, we'll just recycle the television scripts into radio scripts. And a radio show doesn't cost us any anywhere near as much as no. a TV show. And so they figured, let's just make more money on it. It would seem to be working on TV, so why not turn it into a radio show? Now, on radio, they had John Daner as Paladin. On TV, of course, it was Richard Boone. And then Ben Wright was Hey Boy. His character's real name was Kim Chan. And then Virginia Gregg, who was the voice of... Uh, Norman Bates' mother in Psycho. She's the one. Norman! Right. Virginia Mm -hmm. Gregg was Miss Wong on the radio version of Have Gun, Will Travel. Now, Paladin was an interesting guy. He was a former Union Cavalry officer, graduate of U.S. Military Academy at West Point, and he was a decorated Civil War veteran. He was very well-schooled, highly cultured. He became rich as a hired gun at very high prices, and he lived at the Swank Carlton Hotel in San Francisco, and people would hire him to do jobs that they couldn't get. You know, it was it was the old West, so you right. really, you know, all you had was like Texas Rangers back then. So you would hire Paladin to get the work done, something done that you couldn't really go get a private eye or something to do. Um, great show on TV, great show on radio. This is called Talika from ten from October second, nineteen sixty. John Daner starring here uninterrupted now is Have Gun Will Travel. I was beginning to think that you were no longer a boy, that you were now a man. I was wrong. You're acting like a stupid child. Gun will travel. Starring Mr. John Daner as Paladin. San Francisco, 1875. The Carlton Hotel. Headquarters of a man called Paladin. Yes. Oh, 
Hello, hey boy. Come on in. Oh, uh, uh, you want me to take tray and glasses downstairs now? Yes, thank you. You have long talk with man up here this afternoon. Yes, he's an old friend of mine, Colonel Amos R. Leland, United States Army, now retired. Oh, he's sir? Uh-huh. And the colonel's father was General Amos R. Leland, United States Army, now deceased. Perhaps you remember him? Oh, General Amos R. Leland. No, no sir. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I guess there's been an Amos R. Leland carrying a high rank in the United States Army since, well, since the United States had an army. Amos R. Leland seems to be in rut. Well, it looks like the present generation is going to put a stop to it. Amos Jr. is a second lieutenant, and he doesn't seem very enthusiastic about it. Oh, Amos Jr. don't like army, eh? No, the colonel has heard indirectly that the boy is going to resign his commission. Oh, resign? Mm -hmm. He wants me to check on him. Oh, you go snoopy for colonel, Mr. Paladin? <laughs> well, I wouldn't put it that way, hey, boy. I know young Leland. He's a fine boy. If he has some problem, maybe I can help him. Seem to me, uh, maybe Amos Jr. just don't like army. That's quite possible, hey, boy. Constipation can be a problem for anyone, even doctors. And when constipation occurs, it's interesting to see just what doctors consider important about a laxative they might use or recommend. Well, a majority of the doctors we heard from had this to say. A laxative should be effective, gentle, close to natural acting. A medicine that can be used with complete confidence. Now, Exlax has been popular with many doctors and millions of people over the years because chocolated Exlax is effective. Overnight, it helps you toward your normal regularity. Exlax is so gentle, so close to natural acting, there's no upset. That's why many doctors and millions of people use Exlax with complete confidence. Exlax. The laxative that helps you toward your normal regularity, gently, overnight. It was late in the day when I reached Tucson. I checked into a hotel and early the next morning rode out to Fort Bleecker, where young Leland had been transferred after a brief tour of duty with the War Department in Washington. When I reached the stockade gates, I dismounted and crossed the dusty parade ground of the low, squat administration building to inquire where I might find the lieutenant. I was directed to his room in the BOQ, the bachelor officer's quarters. Come in. But, Paladin. Hello, Amos. Good to see you. Paladin, what a surprise. What brings you to this godforsaken place? You? Well, sit down. Thank you. Uh, Amos, I see no reason to beat about the bush. Your father asked me to look in on you. Uh, got wind of my resignation. Word to add. I'm afraid I'm quite a disappointment to him, Paladin. Well, he, uh, he's disturbed about you, and I'll admit that I'm puzzled. As I recall, Amos, you graduated from the Academy with honors. What happened? Very simple. When I was in Washington, the job I had gave me access to certain files. Going through them one day, I uncovered an irregularity that I felt merited the attention of my superior officers. So you brought it to their attention? Of course. Did they act on it? Immediately. Here I am, as far away from the department as I can get. Amos, 
When you were in Washington, was it part of your job to go through the files? No. Oh, I see. You were meddling. I don't call it that. You were prying into something that didn't concern you. I discovered a gross blunder. I think it concerns me and every American. Did it serve any of us Americans to bring the blunder to light? Did any of us benefit from it? In my opinion, the bumbling of the army should be exposed at every opportunity. So I have to resign. Well, I think you've come to a wise decision, Amos. The army apparently is no longer the place for you. I agree. But I hope they don't wait too long to accept my resignation. After Fort Bleecker, I don't know where they can send me except to the firing squad. Have you been peeking in the files again? Not just the files. I've been snooping around the whole territory. And this time I really have something. Like what? Like this setup smells to high heaven. Now, couldn't you have been a little hasty in drawing your conclusions? You've been here how long now? Long enough to unearth some startling facts about the way things are run out here. And this time... I'm not going to trust my information to go through channels. I'm going straight to the great white father. The president? Yes. I can't act as an officer in the United States Army, but I can act as a private citizen. Well, Amos, I must remember you're no longer that boy I used to know. You're a man. It's your life. Yes. The only one I've got. And right now I'm hoping I'll be able to hang on to it for a while. What do you mean by that? I'm skating on awfully thin ice, Paladin. My plan must not be discovered. Ah, good evening, Pedro. Oh, Mr. Paladin, I think you go already back to San Francisco. No, I decided to stay a while. A beer, please. Uh, si, Senor Paladin. Oh, hot night, isn't it? Mm, calor there you are. Oh, thank you. Uh, Senor Paladin. Yeah. You are a friend of the Lieutenant Amos Leland? Yes, I am. I saw him yesterday. I am also his friend. He was in here today. Look for you. He was here? In Tucson? See. Si. Have you any idea where I can find him? Maybe I would think at La Casa Delgado. Where's that? It's a little hotel here in Old Town, down the street, around the corner. You find him, Senor Paladin. My friend Amos Leland seemed to have big worry. Thanks, Pedro. Who is it? Amos, it's Paladin. Amos, hey, what's the idea? Put that gun away. Come in. Come in and close the door and lock it. Sure. There. You weren't followed, were you? There's no one with you. No. What's the matter with you? I'm sorry. I guess I'm just plain scared. Pedro at the cantina said you were looking for me. Yes, I, I wanted to talk to you. All right, let's talk. Well, there isn't time now. Every second counts. I've been waiting till dark. Now I've got to move fast. Where are you going? i got to hide out for a while. Amos, has the Army's acceptance of your resignation come through? No, no, not yet. Then you're deserting. Well, I guess you can call it that. I I think of it as saving my neck. Somebody's out to kill me, Paladin. You're somebody whose toes you might have stepped on with your snooping? I suppose so. I'm, I'm not sure who could have found out, but I'm being followed. Somebody took a shot at me last night. 
I'm scared and I'm running out. Well, you're going to get yourself in a real jam this time. You let me worry about that. Wait. Paladin, here. You take this, this map. Map? What for? It's the information I told you about. I have the documented proof of my findings. It's all in a chest buried in a safe place. Now, you keep the map. Yeah, well, what do I do with it? Well, it'll be safer with you, but don't do anything until you hear from me. I'll get in touch with you somehow. Don't do it this way, Amos. If you have information that you honestly feel should reach the president, let me help you see that he gets it. But go back to the fort. Don't desert. Paladin, it's too late for that. It's too late for anything except just what I'm doing. Amos, yesterday I said you were no longer a boy, that you were now a man. I was wrong. You're acting like a stupid child. I know what I'm doing. You don't. And I'm not going to let you make a fool of yourself. Now, come on. Now, don't try to... You're going don't back try to, stop to me, the fort now. No, I'm not. Oh. 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 Stupid kid. Oh. Uh. Amos. Hey. Uh. Amos. Uh. Uh. Hey, Amos. Wait. Amos. 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 Amos, who did it? Who shot you? I, I... I'll track him down, Amos. Could you see who it was? No. Too dark. Let's get you to a doctor. No. No. Paladin? Yes. The map. The map? Yes. Place of singing water. Talika. Amos? Amos. Major Gerson, my name is Paladin. Oh, yes, yeah, sit down. You were with Lieutenant Leland last night when he... Most unfortunate thing. Yes, it was. Major... Early this morning, I followed the tracks of the horse that rode away from the scene. I finally lost the trail about, oh, four miles south. But this was an unshod horse, an Indian pony. Strange. Doesn't follow the pattern. That's not the way an Indian kills. No, I don't think it was an Indian. You have any suspicions? No, not really. Major, what do you know about the lieutenant's off-duty life while he was here at the fort? Well, not much. He was a strange one. Didn't mingle. Kept to himself. Always seemed busy poking around alone. Do you know what he was doing? No. He was gathering evidence of incompetence and bungling in the army to present to the chief executive. What? That's right. It was a sort of crusade. Oh, no wonder he was so busy. Lord knows he could find enough of it around here. Major, it's a sad thing to see a man die for a cause he believed in. Paladin, Lieutenant Leland was young. He was impatient. He allowed himself to forget his lessons on military strategy, that sometimes it's necessary to take other than the shortest route to achieve an objective. Yet, yet to find out that battles are not won easily, nor without some margin for error. I think he died for a cause he knew was right. Just what are you getting at, Paladin? What right have we to be tolerant of corrupt practices? Or to be intolerant of youthful impatience? Maybe a little more poking around and meddling is what we need. I repeat, just what are you getting at? Amos Leland was murdered, Major. 
because in his poking around, he uncovered something pretty hot. He compiled documents of his findings, and... Major, it's only fair to tell you that I'm going to try to locate them. And if I do, I feel obligated to carry out the boy's plan and see that they're placed in the hands of the president. Well, I can't stop you, Paladin. But before you get too involved, think it over. Hey, Pedro. See? Does the place of singing water mean anything to you? Si, senor. What? It is the most beautiful spot on all Apache Reservation. Does Talika mean anything to you? Si, Talika is the most beautiful girl on all Apache Reservation. She's daughter of great chief. Only now it is so sad. Sad? Now, Talika will cut her pretty hair and make dirty with soot her pretty face and wear the ugly dress. Why is that? For the great sorrow. It is the Apache way. She will mourn her husband, our good friend, Lieutenant Leland. Her husband? Amos was married to an Indian girl. Talika was his wife in Apache marriage ceremony. Only Apaches know this, and I know it, and now you know it. Pedro, wait a minute. Here. Yeah, this map here. Does this make any sense to you? Oh, but of course. Uh, this mark, this is tree that leans, and here is cradle rock. Uh, this map, uh, this is place of singing water. I want to go there, Pedro. Will you show me the way? Seguro. Now, are you sure this is the right spot? Hmm, the map says. Oh, that wiki up there, what's that? That is wiki up of Amos Leland and his wife, Talika. Ah, they really made a home together. Huh? Apache home. Well, thanks, Pedro. You might as well go back now. I'll see you later. You dig, Senor Paladin. You dig, you find what you look for. Adios y buena suerte. Yes, goodbye, Pedro. Thank you. It is not much deeper. What? It is not much deeper. And a bit this way. Oh. Oh, well, I... I not mean to startle you. Please forgive me. I am Talika. Talika? Mm, you are beautiful. Um, uh, Talika, my name is Paladin. Paladin? Oh, yes. You are friend to Amos Leland. Your spade, Mr. Paladin. This way now. Big here. Oh, all right. There. Yeah. You see? Ah. The corner of wooden box. Uh -huh. That is what you want. Well, yes, yeah, it must be. Oh, 
<laughs> Have I your permission? Yes, Mr. Paladin. Take it. Thank you. There. Uh, you seem to know about this box, Talika. Yes, I do. Do you know what's in it? Yes. Bitterness. Bitterness? What are you trying to tell me, Talika? This. It is not in every man to be warrior, Mr. Paladin. Uh, no. But if it is not in man to be warrior, this man will say, let others be warriors. I will do what is for me to do. He will not hold bitterness in his heart and abuse those who are warriors. Uh, what you're saying is that Amos became bitter toward the whole army because he would never make a decent soldier, is that it? Yes. It is not easy for a man to have knowledge that he must fail when he is expected to prove himself as one of a line of great fighting men. But my husband did not look deep within himself to know this. I knew it, for I loved him very much. Well, I thought it was something I could do for Amos to take the information in this box to the president as he had planned to do. Mr. Paladin, the great white father is welcome to it, but it will burden him. A box filled with hate and longing and anger and... I take it. I have now to do what I must do. What's that, Talika? You are not stranger to our country, Mr. Pardon. You know Apache custom for the dead? To burn all the personal belongings, yes. There is not much. I had only part of his life. The wiki-up, the buckskins he wore here, the bow my brother made him, things from our home. Delica, this belongs with the rest of his things. The box? Yes. Take it. Burn it, too. Thank you. It is right. I'm sure it is. But still, uh, Amos died for what is in that box. No matter what prompted it, he was a martyr to a cause. This will disturb you always. Will it not, Mr. Paladin? Uh, I'm afraid so. It must not. Did you know that Amos Leland was soon to resign from the army? Yes. Did you know that his plans were to return to the east coast of the country and marry a girl to whom he has long been betrothed? No. I didn't know that. Do not be disturbed, Mr. Paladin. Amos Leland did not die a martyr to a cause. He died because he betrayed an Indian girl. Talika? Yes. I killed him. Mr. Paladin? You please move so Missy Wong can mop in that corner. Oh, oh sure. Oh, sure. I'm sorry, Miss Wong. Oh. I guess my mind was some other place. Mr. Paladin, seem like since you come back from trip, your mind some other place. That's the time. 
Yeah, I guess that's right. That's right. Well, it was a disturbing trip, Miss Wong. Uh, hey, boy, say you go to soup. Snoop. I guess you could call it that. Hey, boy, say you go to see if boy have problem. Boy have problem, Mr. Paladin? Yes, he did. Oh. But there wasn't much I could do about it. His real problem was deep in the recesses of his mind. And he wasn't even aware of it. Oh, my. Poor people. Get all mixed up. Laura, Mrs. James, and I both say you're the best housekeeper we know. You wouldn't say that today. I'm getting ready for the painters. Lately, I've had headaches and muscular aches and pains. Can't do half I should. Don't just put up with discomfort like that. For relief, try Doan's Pills. Good advice. That's Doan's Pills, an analgesic and mild diuretic to the kidneys. Nagging backache, also headache, dizziness, and muscular aches and pains may come on with overexertion, emotional upsets, or everyday stress and strain. Doan's pain-relieving action is often the answer, and they also offer mild diuretic action through the kidneys. So if nagging backache is making you feel worn out, tired, and miserable, with restless, sleepless nights, don't wait. Try Doan's pills, used successfully by millions for over 60 years. See if they don't bring you the same welcome relief. Get Doan's pills today. To save money, buy Doan's big economy size. Have Gun, Will Travel. Created by Herb Meadow and Sam Rolfe, is produced and directed in Hollywood by Frank Paris and stars John Daner as Paladin with Ben Wright as Hayboy and Virginia Gregg as Miss Wong. Tonight's story was specially written for Have Gun, Will Travel by Ann Dowd. Featured in the cast were Vic Perrin, Don Diamond, Ken Lynch, and Lillian Byatt. This is Hugh Douglas inviting you to join us again next week when CBS Radio presents Have Gun, Will Travel. That's Have Gun, Will Travel from October 2nd, 1960 with Talika, starring John Daner with participating sponsors. as heard on CBS. Hope you enjoyed that. Let's take a quick break. Then it's more on the WGN Radio Theater. I don't want to set the world on fire. I just want to start a flame in your heart. In my heart I have but one desire, and that one is you. No other will do. 
I've lost all ambition for worldly acclaim. I just want to be the one you love. You know, uh, Lisa, this week I spent a lot of time picking shows out for upcoming classic radio club selections. You know, we send 10 of the greatest classic radio shows of all time each and every month to our Classic Radio Club members. Yes, I am a very happy member of the Classic Radio Club. Yes, and uh, I was combing through the library, 100,000 shows, and I, you know, I, I, get, I lose track of time. I'm like looking through these shows, and there's so many shows That's and checking lot, the quality. That's a lot of shows. And I found... A Yours Truly Johnny Dollar radio episode that I think at the time, it was in the 50s, it had Bob Bailey, Mm -hmm. and he must have been sick that week. You know, this is a live show. And so they had Gerald Moore filling in. Now, Gerald Moore, you know him as Philip Marlowe on the radio. And And he played Yours Truly Johnny Dollar in one episode. Just the only time that he ever did that. So this is a show that I sort of earmarked for the Classic Radio Club, because with the Classic Radio Club, you not only get the greatest quality classic radio shows, but you get interesting shows, kind of -of one-of-a-kind shows. So uh, if you want to join the club, folks, I'd love you to be a member. We have hundreds and hundreds of Classic uh, Radio Club members, and they're your fellow listeners. And all you have to do is go to our website, ClassicRadioClub.com. In the first month, it's only $1 to experience. And the other thing that you get being a club member is uh, historical facts about the shows. So you learn a little bit more about the shows. And if you know that when you listen to it, it puts it in a whole different light. And I really think you get much more out of the shows when you are educated prior to listening to them. Yep, just go to Classic Radio Club. Dot com, ClassicRadioClub.com. We'd love you to be a Classic Radio Club member. In our next hour, my friend Irma. You don't want to miss that. I'm sitting on top of the world, just rolling along, rolling along. I'm quitting the blues of the world. When I'm playing classic radio shows, I'm sitting on top of the world. Things are just rolling along, Lisa. Mm. Do you know that? I don't know if things roll along for you. <laughs> There's much more drama than There's roll a, along. There is a, little, a lot of drama. Yeah, rolling along, you know, kind of gives you the idea like you're just kind of flexible and go with the flow. And I uh-huh. just don't see you that way. Well, I'm a flexible person. Do look how can? look I could do a backbend. Look how flexible I <laughs> yeah, am. Yeah, you're flexible. It is 11.10. It is hour two of the WGN Radio Theater, and Lisa and I are here every single Saturday night. Yes, 10 p.m. till 3 o'clock in the morning. Now, it's five hours, and we play five classic radio shows. Now, once in a while, we will be uh, kind of bumped for sports or something like that for an hour or so. Or daylight saving time. Well, I was going to say, but daylight (laughs) saving time. 
right? Right. We uh, were off the air at 2 o'clock because 2 turns into 3, and then that's the end of our show. Then Dave Plyer will be in. Right. He will do his show. But uh, but we do have four classic radio shows all the way till 2 o'clock slash 3 o'clock in the morning. That's right. We have My Friend Irma from 1948 in this hour. Before that, we will have Just the Facts, uh, all about 1948. Then in our next hour, it's The Sealed Book, a good mystery. And then after that, we will have another mystery. Suspense. Yes, a tale well calculated to, to keep, keep you, you in. in. Suspense. We have a text in line, 312-981-7200. We love getting your texts. Please do text us. And don't forget, mark your calendar, 10 p.m. till 3 o'clock in the morning, every Saturday night into Sunday morning. We will play all your favorite classic radio shows. And so many of these classic radio shows, Lisa, made the transition to television. And you can watch the video counterparts of these radio shows on Antenna TV, our sister network. So do watch these shows on Antenna TV. You can watch them 24 Hours a day, seven days a week. That's right. Right? We we watch plenty of them. We do watch plenty of them. <laughs> we talk right. about it all the time. Stick around. We'll have just the facts, then my friend Irma after these words. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you're about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. We're going to have some Just the Facts, sponsored by Cat's Pride. We are going to be talking about 1948, because we will be playing My Friend Irma from January 12th to 1948. So in 1948, Music Digest estimated Bing Crosby's recordings filled more than half of the 80,000 weekly hours allocated to recorded radio music. Really? Yes. He was that popular. He was I know, that popular. You know, he was a box office movie star. Yes. He was a recording artist. He had his radio show. Very popular guy. Right. But, of course, the biggest hit song of his career was... I'm of a that's for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. So that's Irving Berlin's White Christmas, which he introduced on a Christmas Day radio broadcast in 1941. And, of course, as we just talked about last hour, this song remains the best-selling single of all time. Yep. That is crazy. Like 100-plus million copies Right, or 100, 100 million, billion, trillion. <laughs> copies. I'm pretty sure that's correct. Do you yeah. know any of his other top songs? Well, he had a lot of them. But yeah, I but mean, specifically in 1948. No. All right, we'll move on. Mm-hmm. 1948, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, the shortest movie review ever was for <laughs> a 1948 film called Isn't It Romantic? Do you mm-hmm. know that film? No. All right. Well, it was reviewed by Leonard Malton, and it simply read, it, there was one word. What was the word? Watchable. Mm, go the other direction. 
unwatchable. How about no? Just no. <laughs> just no. That's it. That's a very Two letters, no. one word, N-O, no. So isn't it romantic? Now, I didn't know the movie either. I did a little research. If it's a romantic movie, then I agree with Leonard Maltin. No. I, I, I think it's a little bit romantic. It's a 1940. It's also a musical, which isn't Ugh. really up your alley. <sighs> so it was from double, Paramount Pictures. Double bad. And it, it, it got its title from a 1932 song by Richard Rogers called Isn't It Romantic? And mm-hmm. I think it was a little romantic. It was about uh, Civil War. There were three daughters and three men. Not yeah, your kind of pass. movie. You'll go with Leonard Maltin on that one. Also, in 1948, Scrabble was invented. It was? But actually, it was trademarked as the Scrabble brand crossword game in 1948. It's too long. It's kind of long. Before you can find that- those words in Scrabble. Uh, it might be hard. Before that, the game was first entitled Lexico. In 1931. I don't like that title. Don't like Lexico. Then crisscross words. Mm, nah. Better? Nah. All right. I don't like it. So Scrabble was conceived by an unemployed New York architect. He had lots of time on his hands. He had a lot of time on his hands. He combined what he thought were the um, most enduring games in history, put them all together, combined them. Today, one in three homes in America contain at least one version of a Scrabble game. Are you mm. one of those one in three? No, I don't have a Scrabble. Mm-mm. You don't have Scrabble? Nope. Nope. Well, I know what to buy for you for Christmas this year. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get you a Scrabble okay. game. Yeah. Scrabble cool. ranks as the second best-selling board game in behind U.S. Behind Monopoly. His- exactly. Yeah, Just Monopoly. behind Monopoly. And Do you then, have Monopoly What about Twister? House? I have a Twister. <laughs> I have Twister, too. I don't have Monopoly, either. Oh. I have Clue. Yeah. I have Clue, and then I have... Um, Million dollar trivia. What is that one? Mm-hmm. How to be a millionaire? Trivial pursuit. Yeah, I have trivial pursuit mm-hmm. and how to be a millionaire. They right. made well, that your, a board your, game. Your kids are underprivileged. Yeah. All right, thanks, Lisa. <laughs> thanks, Carl. Text in line three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. Time now for my friend Irma situation comedy series set in Manhattan. It was on the air from nineteen forty seven till nineteen fifty four. This was so popular that there was actually a movie made out of the radio series and a TV series and a comic book. And you know the movie called My Friend Irma actually introduced a very young new couple to uh you know to the filmdom to filmdom it was uh, Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis mm-hmm. they were actually in that movie introduced them and then of course they went on to huge huge things Marie Wilson played Irma Peterson she was beautiful what a gorgeous woman yeah. and she was just awesome in this role Kathy Lewis Joan Banks and Mary Ship, three different actresses, played her roommate over the years. Uh, the roommate's name was Jane Stacy. And Irma had a boyfriend. His name was Al, and he was a deadbeat. He was just a out of work all the time, trying to figure out how to, you know, get rich quick type of guy. This series was created by Cy Howard, who also created Life with Luigi, which is my mom's favorite show. Um, yeah, and it was uh, very, very popular. And then there was a contest. In the 1940s, I think it was 1949, to raise money for the March of Dimes fight against polio, they offered Marie Wilson to act as a secretary for the highest bidder. That was, you know, they were doing that on the radio show and all kinds. And believe it or not, what do you think the highest bid was? 1949. There were two, there were three businessmen that bid $1,000 each. Well, this is a donation to cure polio. It was, yeah. It was right. to the March of Dimes. But you know, but, you know a company won 
Five thousand oh, dollar bid. Nice Coca Cola bottling company of Fort Worth. I think they can afford. I it. was just going to say yeah. that. And she actually went to Fort Worth, and mm. for one day was a secretary for Coca Cola. And that five thousand dollars really a great cause. It's so five thousand so. dollars went to um, March of Dimes. Very nice. All right, time for my friend Irma. This is called the Lucky Couple Contest from January twelfth, nineteen forty-eight. Here's Marie Wilson, uninterrupted, as my friend Irma. Lieber Brothers Company, makers of Swan, the soap with the exclusive Super Cream Blend, presents our friend Swan with my friend Irma. Starring Mary Wilson as Irma and Kathy Lewis as Jane. Friendship, friendship, just a perfect friendship. When other friendships have been forgotten, theirs will still be hot. into that old controversial subject, who is the more intelligent, man or woman? Now, me, Jane Stacy, I like to stick up for us gals. As an example of woman's intelligence, I invariably point to Madame Curie, Queen Victoria, Dorothy Parker. I think I'm doing all right until the opposition nods knowingly in the direction of Irma Peterson. <laughs> and suddenly the ball game is over. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I love Irma Peterson. But there are times when... Well, for instance, last night, Irma was reading a book. She read it through once, and then I noticed that she started on the back page and seemed to be reading toward the front. (laughs) Honey, what is it, Jane? You know, you read that book through once. What's the idea of reading it backwards? Well, I want to be fair. After all, there are two sides to every story. (laughs) See what I mean? This goes on every day, and I'm certain that on this lovely Saturday afternoon, it's not going to be any different. But I promised to meet Irma for lunch, so I better call her. Hello? Mr. Clyde's office. Hi, honey. You through for the day? Almost, Jane. Uh, Do you know where I can find a Canadian stamp? Why do you want a Canadian stamp? Well, Mr. Clyde dictated a letter, and he wants me to mail it to Canada right away. Look, sweetie, uh, just put a United States stamp on it. Will it get there, Jane? Sure, I have pull in Washington. (laughs) Sweetie, where do you want to meet me? Well, uh, how about 49th and 6th? Uh, You know the corner where the fat policeman stands. The fat policeman? Yes, you know the one who always says, Hello, Irma, are you still lost? Oh. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that one. Oh, he's so nice, and he's interested in my health, too. He is? Yes, he keeps saying... Kid, you've been standing in the sun too long. (laughs) All right, sweetie, all right. I'll meet you there in a few minutes. Bye. Goodbye. All right, move on in. Move on. Oh, hello, Irma. It's you. You still lost? Oh, hello, officer. I was just telling my girlfriend about you. Well, that's nice. Uh, You better cross now. The light's green. Thank you. Don't mention it. Just keep out of the sun. (laughs) I will. Oh, there's my girlfriend, Jane. Jane. Hello, honey. 
Well, shall we just walk, do a little window shopping? All right, Jane. Oh, look, Jane, isn't that cute? The kids are making men out of snow. Yeah. You know, there are times when I think the man I'm in love with is made out of the same material. <laughs> oh, Jane, you've just got the blues because Richard hasn't proposed yet. Yeah, I guess so. Well, Jane, uh, I don't think you're handling him right. I think Richard needs some competition, something to make him jealous. For instance? Well, get some other girls to go out with him. What? Well, then he'll see how much better you are than the others. Oh, sweetie, I've already used more tricks than Houdini. There's nothing a girl can do. It's a man's world. Well, that's what they say. Yeah. You know, sometimes when I feel like this, I wish I was born a man. Not me. I wouldn't want to be born a man. Why not? Well, I'd look so silly dancing with Al. (laughs) No, Irma, don't be ridiculous. Irma. Look ahead of you. There's an open manhole. I've been down there. There's nothing to see. <laughs> Jane. What, honey? Look at that window. Isn't that a beautiful bridal gown? Yeah. It's very lovely. Come on, honey. Oh, wait a minute, Jane. Gee, what a beautiful gown. And that girl in the window is certainly lucky. Irma, she's just a dummy. Well, what does she care as long as her husband loves her? <laughs> Oh, Jane, I'd give anything in the world to be a bride. Well, there stands Irma gazing pathetically at the bridal gown. I can tell by the expression on her face that she's picturing herself on her wedding day. She's just beaming with pride. Must be standing at the altar with Al. Now she's shaking her head up and down. Must be saying, I do. No, no, there's a fly on her nose. (laughs) Now she's extending her finger for the wedding band, and she's holding it up and admiring it. I don't know what kind of a wedding band it can be, but if Al gave it to her, it must say Corona, Corona. (laughs) Sweetie, I hate to interrupt your daydreams, but we've got to be getting along. All right, Jane, but first I'd like to put a deposit on that bridal gown. Irma Peterson, how many times have I told you a bridal gown is the last thing a girl has to worry about? The last? Yes, the first thing is a man. (sighs) I could be a bride. I have Al. Yeah, yeah, you have Al. You know, Irma, all brides go to their weddings with four things. Something old and something new, something borrowed and something blue. To this, you are adding a fifth thing. What? Something unemployed. <laughs> and so what? Well, Irma, you can't be happy with a man who can't give you the things that go with a home. For, for instance, uh, uh, furniture, a refrigerator, vacuum cleaner, dishes. Yes, I, I guess Al could never make it on his unemployment check. That's right. <laughs> well, come on, honey, let's have lunch. No, I, I'm too sad to have lunch. I'm going to be an old maid. I'm going to go home. Hello? Oh, hello, Richard. Uh, No, Jane went off to do some shopping. I'm here alone. Huh? No, I'm not frightened. I've been alone before when there was no one with me. (laughs) Well, that's a good idea. I'll turn on the radio for company. Yes, goodbye, Richard. Listen, ladies, have you ever wished you might be a bride? Oh, yes, I have. You have? 
then this program is going to make it possible for some lucky girl to have everything she'll ever need for that honeymoon cottage. Furniture, a refrigerator, a vacuum cleaner, a washing machine. Dishes? And, oh, yes, a complete set of dishes. <laughs> Say nothing of some silverware. And now listen carefully, and I'll tell you how you can participate in our show. Do you have a pencil ready? Can I use a fountain pen instead? Or a fountain pen. <laughs> now, all you have to do is write a letter to this station. How do you spell station? K-N-X. Thank you. And state in 25 words or less why you want to be a bride. It's very simple. Just 25 words beginning, I want to be a bride because... I want to be a bride because... Now, please understand this is not a contest. We merely select the six most interesting letters, and our studio audience will then choose the lucky couple. Please mail your letters to lucky couple. So until next week, this is Freddie Flip saying wedding bells to you all, and I do mean you all. I want to be a bride because... Come in. It's only me, Professor Kropotkin. <laughs> Hello, Irma, darling. Oh, Professor, why are you limping? Oh, my room is so dark, I keep falling over everything. Well, why don't you turn on the lights? I can't stand the sight of that place. <laughs> Irma, where's Janie? Oh, she's out. Oh, Professor, I'm so excited. Can you give me 25 words why a person should get married? No, but I got plenty of words about why you shouldn't. <laughs> What's it all about, Irma? Well, I have to write a letter. I want to be a bride because, and if they select my letter, I get a refrigerator, a, a furniture, a vacuum cleaner, everything to make the house perfect. And Al will be your husband? Naturally. This you call perfect? <laughs> Professor, would you help me write the letter? Help you? Yes, you were once married. What made you get married? A weakness in my character. <laughs> oh, you men say that. But wasn't there something that made you feel wonderful in 25 words? Listen, Irma, darling, with my wife, 25 words was just a breathing spell. <laughs> you know, she once stopped talking for five seconds. We all thought she had locked you. <laughs> no, Irma, I refuse to be accessory to this crime. Besides, I have to get back to my room. I'm having a fight with Mrs. O'Reilly. What about? I told her there's mice in my room as big as dogs. Well, what's she doing about it? She wants to charge me extra for running a kennel club. <laughs> well, goodbye, Emma. Write your letter and good luck. I want to be a bride because... Because it's the only way for a girl to be married. <laughs> no... I want to be a bride because that's all a girl has to look forward to, and I've been looking so long my two eyes are tired. Oh, shucks, that's 26 words. I'll make it just one eye. No? Now, let's see. I want to be a bride. I want to be a bride. Hello, honey. I want to be a bride. I want to be one, too, but I don't use up all this paper. Irma, what have you done to my stationery? What are you doing? Oh, Jane, did you ever hear of a program called Lucky Couple? Yeah. Yeah, you, you mean the one in which you write in why you want to be a bride in 25 words, and if you're the lucky couple, they furnish your home for you? Yes, and, oh, Jane, I'm not good at it. Would, would you write the letter for me? Well, honey, do you really think if Al got all those things, he'd marry you? Of course. You know, it would be very interesting to find out what Al would do if his back were against the wall. Okay, sweetie, all right, I'll write your letter for you Oh, Jane, no girl ever had a better friend huh. And I'll get Al in the mood by making him a wonderful dinner tonight Well, Irma, I know the way to a man's heart is through his stomach But are you sure you know the road? <laughs> 
I mean, well, you know, you, you very seldom cook. Oh, I know, but I think this is a time to start, and I've been memorizing a recipe. Uh, I'm going to the store right now. To buy what? The white of an egg. The ones we have here, they won't do. They all have a yellow center. And now, Susie Swan sings to us. Listen. My advice, says Susie, when you are buying soap for dishes, please be choosy. Swan gives a brand new kind of suds, you see. Your dishes wash so easily. Swan's gentle, too. I swan to you, says Susie. And you know, ladies, what Susie Swan is trying to tell you in that mighty pretty way is that now you can have faster dishwashing and protection for your hands at the same time with swan soap. Sure, because white floating swan is made with an exclusive super creamed blend, a blend that means a wonderful new kind of suds. Float swan in your dishpan from now on. You'll see how swan super creamed blend actually protects your hands, leaves them soft and lovely as ever. You'll see, too, how swan whips into suds so fast. Billows of rich, hard-working suds that get you out of the kitchen in a hurry. A wonderful new kind of suds that rinse away so completely with one quick hot rinse that your dishes never need drying. Yes, with Swan, your dishwashing job is over fast. And your hands are left smooth and lovely because only Swan soap gives you this exclusive super-creamed blend. have just finished the first dinner Irma ever cooked, and I must say I am positively speechless. Not only did Irma look adorable, but she made a dinner that was fit for a king, and Al ate it like a king. (laughs) King Henry VIII. He kept throwing bones all over the place. But I must hand it to Irma, not only was her food delicious, but it carried a message, a message you could not escape. The mashed potatoes were shaped like a heart, pierced by an arrow of paprika. (laughs) The rice, of course, hinted at a wedding. Then there was a half an avocado with a reddish in it. This was the baby in its cradle. (laughs) Which, incidentally, Irma kept rocking all through the meal. (laughs) And then in front of a short-lighted candle, Irma had placed a black olive cut in two with the pit removed. This could only represent Al's slippers in front of the fireplace. And then for dessert, she served those cute little Chinese fortune cookies. But she'd removed the original prophecies and replaced them with little slips of paper, which read, if you don't get married right away, you'll drop dead. (laughs) Oh, it's a subtle kid, that Irma. But if she can get Al to agree to marry her this way or any other way, it's okay by me. I'll be happy to write the letter if she can get Al to say the word. Honey... Yes, Jane? You know, I simply must tell you that that was the most delicious dinner I've ever eaten. Right, Al? Oh, the best. Oh, thank you, Al. I'm glad to hear you say that because I realize how important cooking is in marriage. You see, uh, married people eat twice as much as single people because there's two of them. (laughs) Wait a minute, Irma. Did you invite me to this dinner so I'd propose? Yes, Al. Well, chicken, I don't think that's fair of you. I should at least have been given the right to choose my food. What do you mean, Al? Well, any guy about to walk the last mile always has the right to pick his own menu. Oh, Al, how can you say that? 
Please, for once, don't live up to my expectations. Ah, oh, chicken, I'm just kidding, yeah? I knew all along what you were up to. I got the hint at dinner when instead of serving the rice, you threw it at me. <laughs> chicken, I'd marry you today, only... Only... Only what? Well, uh, it's just a question of until... Until one of your deals comes through? Like pumping up spaghetti and selling it for garden hose? <laughs> yeah. Well, that one happened to peter out. That's why I can't commit myself. See, I'm getting 20 bucks a week from the unemployment office. But how do I know it'll be steady? <laughs> what with the coming election, these are uncertain times, you know. But, Al, I, I want to get married right away. I'm so tired of waiting. Know how you feel, chicken. But I resent your saying that. Tired of waiting. Now, let me ask you something. How long do you wait for a bus every day? Oh, about 10 minutes coming and 10 minutes going. That's 20 minutes a day. Six days a week, 52 weeks a year? Over a period of the time you've been working, that adds up to a lot of waiting. And chicken, I think I deserve the same consideration as a bus. <laughs> Look, Al, you can stall Irma, but you can't stall me. Now, there's a chance. It may be slim, but it's a chance for you and Irma to win all the things necessary to furnish a home. Huh. Well, I'm going to write a letter for Irma in 25 words why she wants to be a bride and send it to the Lucky Couple program. Can't be done. Why not? Well, what would you write about? I mean, naturally, you'd write that Irma wants to be a bride because she's met a nice guy, a man of sterling character, a gentleman, a deep thinker. You know, personally, I don't think you can do me justice in 25 words. <laughs> if she does win, would you go through with it? You know, Jane, if you worked half as hard on Richard as you do on me, you'd have been married 10 years ago. <laughs> You're the one that Irma wants, and I want to see her happy. Now, what do you say? Well, putting it like that, there's only one man who can advise me. Who else? Who else but... Hello, Joe. <laughs> Al, got a problem. Irma and I are going on a radio program. Huh? No, Joe, not it pays to be ignorant. <laughs> now, this is called the Lucky Couple Program, dedicated to making happy marriages. Joe, want to ask you a personal question. What do you think of marriage? Uh-huh. 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 Mm-hmm. You love it? You think it's a wonderful institution? You think it's swell? And it's the best thing... Oh, your wife is sitting on your lap and she sends her regards, too. <laughs> gotcha, Joe. Goodbye. Man's no help. He's trapped himself. Well, Al, what do you say? Okay, you write the letter and I'll go through with it. the letter out. I believe I rewrote it 18 times because every time I tried to describe Al, I was sure it wouldn't go through the mails. <laughs> so I just kept playing around till I got 25 words that seemed to make a little sense and I signed Irma's name and I sent it off. Well, you can imagine what Irma's been going through since then. Every morning, Irma's been running downstairs to meet the mailman. She brings him little cookies once, I believe, I overheard her asking him if he had any socks that needed darning. <laughs> and she comes up and she waits by the phone. Once the phone rang at the same time that the mailman knocked, and it was as close as Irma ever came to doing a split. <laughs> well, this has just been going on for days, and I don't think I can take it much longer. Honey. Yes, Jane? Look, wh why don't you just forget about that lucky couple program? I I'm sure that if you'd won, you would have been notified by now. Oh, vacuum cleaners, refrigerators, washing machines. 
No wonder couples don't have many children today. They spend all their time in hardware stores. <laughs> oh, maybe that's a milkman with a special. Come in. Hiya, chicken. Oh, it's you, Al. No news today from the program, huh? Oh, Al, I guess we're just not the kind of people who get things easy. We can only get them by working for them. Chicken, don't be vicious. <laughs> hey, maybe, maybe the letter Jane wrote wasn't good enough, huh? Now, listen, Al. I made such a gentleman out of you and that letter your own family would take you back. <laughs> well, what's the use? Let's not spill milk on each other and cry. <laughs> Take me to a movie. Okay, chicken, get your hat. Hello. Who? Irma Peterson. Yeah, Irma, it's for you. Thanks. Uh, hello? Yes, this is Irma Peterson. Who is this? Lucky Couple Program? I did? Oh, thank you. Oh, Al, they like the letter. Oh, uh, yes? Oh, sure, we'll come to your studio. And believe me, I'm so happy I'll tell all my friends to eat the dog biscuits you advertise. <laughs> oh, I mean, <laughs> goodbye. Jacob, we did it. Hey, you know, it'll feel kind of nice being married. Now, listen, Al, you haven't won yet. You still have to appear on the program and compete with the five other couples, you know. Five other couples? Yes, Al, they ask us questions. But I'm not worried. You always know what to do in an emergency. Like the time in the restaurant when you didn't have any money. Oh, that was... <laughs> that was nothing. Well, not everyone would have known how to get amnesia so fast. <laughs> Come in. Hello, Jane. Hello, Richard. What a pleasant surprise. Thank you. Hello, Irma. Al? Hi. Say, you two look kind of excited. Oh, Irma and Al are going to be on that lucky couple radio program tonight. You know, where the winners receive a house completely furnished? Oh, yes. I've heard it many times. I bet if you and Jane went on, you'd win. Uh, yes, I suppose. Oh, I know Jane wouldn't mind marrying you. She told me so many times. Irma. Oh, Jane, you did. And even in your sleep... Irma, don't... Uh, you, can't you... Don't you think you better go? You and Al will be late. Yeah, that, that's right, chicken. We better hurry. Come on. We'll listen in. Gee, Gina, I wish it was television, and then I'd be able to see you, and I wouldn't be nervous. How's that again? Oh, never mind, never mind. The only thing I can say is good luck, honey, and we'll be sitting here pulling for you. Thanks, Jane. Come on, chicken. Take my arm, baby. Who knows? Pretty soon, you may be Mrs. Al. Gee, Al, I wonder how the other couples are making out. Don't worry about them, chicken. We'll be called into the studio next. Now, we've got to make a good impression so we get the most applause. Well, I'm awful nervous. Well, just control yourself and answer the questions. W what do they usually ask? Well, they'll ask your age. You say 22. 22. Then they'll want to know how many children we would like. You say three or four. Three or four. Then they ask you why you picked me to be your husband. Now, here you got to lay it on thick, because they like it romantic. Well, what do I say? Oh, gooey stuff. Like, I got the habits of Lincoln, the charm of Casanova, the smile of Mona Lisa, and I'm built like an ox. <laughs> the habits of Lincoln, the charm of Casanova, smile of Mona Lisa, and built like an ox. You got it? Got it. All right, folks, come in the studio. Your interview is next. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you have just heard our fourth couple, and here are the next contestants. Let's give them a great big hand, huh? That's it, that's fine. Thank you. 
Richard, will you turn the radio up a little more? I want to be sure to hear everything. All right, Jane. And now, folks, for our next lucky couple. Miss, I see your name is Irma Peterson. Your age? Three or four. <laughs> what? Uh, I'm just a little nervous. Well, now, don't be nervous. Just relax. After all, there are only 15 million people listening to you. Now, tell us, when you marry this gentleman at your side, how many children would you like to have? Twenty-two. <laughs> I'm getting everything backwards. Now, just take your time, miss, because this is the important question. Uh, I think I'm ready for this one. Good. Now, tell our audience why you selected this young man as the man of your dreams. Well, he has the smile of an ox, uh, <laughs> habits of Casanova, uh, and he's built like Mona Lisa. <laughs> oh, what's the matter, Al? Oh, I know I left out Lincoln. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, next contestants, please. But, but, mister, don't you want to ask me any more next questions? Next contestants, um, please. I... Oh. Oh, poor Irma. Oh, and she tried so hard. Richard, why didn't Al talk? You know, he knows that Irma gets excited. Oh, I'll have an unhappy girl on my hands tonight. Say, I think I see them coming up the street now. How do you know it's Irma now? Well, the fellow's walking on the inside. That's them. <laughs> well, I'd better try and cheer her up some way. Put the radio on, huh? Get some music. And now, ladies and gentlemen, for our pot of cash feature. If you're home when we call your phone number, all you have to do is answer the phone and we give you $10,000. There goes the wheel. The first name is Irma Peterson, and we're ringing her now. Irma Peterson? Yes! They're ringing us! Hello, Jane. Answer the phone! Answer the phone, Irma. It's a radio show, and they want to give you Nothing ten... doing. They made a fool of me once tonight. They won't do it again. I'm going to bed. Good night. Well, I'm sorry you weren't in, Miss Peterson. Sorry you weren't in. And you know, even when she is in, there's nobody home? <laughs> When you're dealing with my friend, Irma. You know, this morning I found Irma placing a bar of swan soap outside of our window. So I said... Honey, why are you leaving that bar of swan soap out there? And Irma said... Well, every morning a pigeon comes to the window and I want our swan to make friends. <laughs> well, Irma, <laughs> that's one worry you might as well forget. Swan already has lots of friends. Everyone's familiar with that bright green and white wrapper with the big white swan on it. Sure, because that wrapper tells the ladies they're getting the white floating soap with the exclusive super-creamed blend, swan soap. And, as you ladies listening know, it's important to get swan. Because Super Cream Swan gives you a wonderful new kind of suds for dishes. Suds that protect your hands. Leave them lovely to look at, smooth to the touch. Suds that whip up faster in the dishpan for quick dishwashing. And then rinse away so completely with one hot rinse that you don't need to dry your dishes. Yes, Swan Super Creamed Blend saves you time. And saves your hands, too. So from now on, float swan in your dishpan. You'll like swan's wonderful new kind of suds.
Dilemma, presented by Swan, another fine product of Lieber Brothers Company, was produced and directed by Cy Howard, starring Mary Wilson as Irma and Kathy Lewis as Jane. The part of Professor Kropotkin was played by Hans Conried. Frank Bingman speaking. That's the uh, episode of my friend Irma called Lucky Couple Contest from January 12th, 1948, with Marie Wilson and Kathy Lewis, as heard on CBS. Hope you enjoyed that. Let's take a quick break, and then it's more on the WGN Radio Theater. That's the best Get your kicks On Route 66 It winds From Chicago to L.A. More than 2,000 miles All the way Have you ever traveled Route 66, Lisa? Uh, no, I've seen the sign, though. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's iconic. It is. Uh, lots to see on Route 66, and lots to hear in our next hour of the WGN Radio Theater, because we have a mystery called The Sealed Book. You don't want to miss that. It's called King of the World from 1945. It originally aired on this radio station, WGN, back in 1945. Then in our fourth hour, it's Suspense with Joseph Cotton. He was an actor in the movies who enjoyed doing radio. He's on a lot of radio shows. He'll uh, be starring in a tale well-calculated to keep you in suspense. So lots coming your way, plus just the facts, brought to you by Cat's Pride. So stick around. I've never met a girl like you, Lisa, in my life. That's kind of romantic for you, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you uh, swing that You are way. quite the girl. You know well, that? Um, you really thank are. You, I you think. really, really are. And I'll never forget when we first met, you knew nothing, you didn't even know what classic radio That's was. That's not true. Had no idea That's incorrect. what classic radio was. Well, no, I knew a even, lot less never than heard I know of the now. Shadow or Boston Black. No, I did know some classic radio. Yeah. I, I was introduced to my favorite husband as the very first classic radio show I Where think do you I think ever heard. you heard that at? I just was flipping You through. knew about that, right? I, because I'd heard it. Well, and your mother, her name is Alice Faye. Right. Her first name is Alice. Her right. 
right? middle name is and, Faye. And right, no coincidence. That's kind of interesting. Maybe so you, if she had a brother, probably, they would have called him Phil. I don't know. You probably <laughs> heard of Phil Harris Nell's Faye then growing <laughs> up. No, I, I knew something about it, but... But very little. Very little. I mean, I and knew it existed, years, of course. We've known each other like 12 years now. Oh, we've known each other longer than that. No, I don't think so, because because uh, we started our other radio show about 11 years ago. So about 12 oh, years that's we've known right each then. other. And then this Seems show, like longer than we've been that. on WGN, <laughs> I think this is our fifth year. It will be five years uh, next in month. A- in April. The beginning of April. We have to have a party. Five years. Have to have a party. Okay, I'm on it. I mean, it. five years. I mean, that's pretty good. I mean, me working with you for that long <laughs> Gosh, is probably the, the real uh, you poor thing. <laughs> the real thing here. In this hour, hour three of the WGN Radio Theater, a good mystery, the sealed book from 1945. I like how the guy talks on it. He's like. <laughs> Sealed book. That's how he Sounds talks. Sounds kind of witchy. Yeah. Um, with uh, Philip Clark. And then in our next hour, Suspense with Joseph Cotton. So two good mysteries coming your way. Don't miss it. We'll be back after these words. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you're about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. Just the Facts, sponsored by Cat's Pride. This is Hour 3. We will be talking about 1945, the year of our radio show, this hour from the sealed book. Mm-hmm. So 1945, mechanical engineer Richard James invented the slinky by accident. Who walks the stair without a care and makes the happiest sound. Bounce up and down just like a clown. Everyone knows it's Slinky. I hope that you had a Slinky in your I did. Okay, I now I feel better. So the sales of Slinky soared after Gim- Gimbel's department store in Philadelphia allowed demonstrations for Christmas. That was in 1945. The first 400 Slinkies sold within minutes. And then in 1999, the United States Postal Service Service, issued a Slinky postage stamp, and then in 2000, the Slinky was inducted into the National Toy Hall of Fame. Remember there was like a Slinky dog? Yes, too? I was just going to say. you pull there, it, yeah. and it was like wood, and it had like the front of it, it was wood, wood, the back it wasn't of it. Wood, it was wood, it was brown, but like brown the body was a Slinky. Was it like a hot dog? I didn't like that, though. You didn't like the dog? I liked the regular Slinky. I should be the regular Slinky right down the stairs. Exactly. Now, November. I could 19- never make mine go down the stairs, though. They never went all the way it's down. Like, just a couple they did and it then on they TV, did, I'm not but they did. didn't do it in person. I, same here. <laughs> yeah. We must have had the same slinky. <laughs> uh, 1945 November, Frank Sinatra traveled to Gary, Indiana to convince white high school students striking against integration to return to school. Good. So, yeah, a citizens group asked Frank Sinatra specifically because not only was he a teenage heartthrob, of course, mm-hmm. but he is also a performer that they felt had strong principles yeah. and that he did. Sinatra called it, and I quote, the most shameful incident in the history of American education. Wow. So he did the yeah, right thing. Absolutely. October 5th, 1945, Meet the Press premiered on radio. So Meet the Press began on the mutual broadcasting system in 1945 as American Mercury Presents Meet the Press. And then in 1947, while still on mutual, the television rights to the program were purchased by General Foods which began to air the show on NBC TV with the title shortened to simply Meet the Press. And, and I think Meet the Press is still on television. It might be one of the I, longest I think it is. And then, of course, it was show on, right? of all time. I, I think it is. It might be. 
Right. That, that'd be an interesting statistic. Yeah. Yep. Because if it started in 1947 and it's still it on today. It started in 1945. I well, on television. Oh, on television. Yeah. Correct. So uh, we should exactly look into right. that. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Lisa. Yeah, sure, Carl. Uh, I appreciate it. Our text in line, 312-981-7200. Time now for the sealed book. This was an anthology of supernatural drama, mystery, and terror. It came to radio for one season in 1945. It was produced and directed by Jock McGregor, and it was on Mutual. Uh, Philip Clark was the mysterious, silent Keeper of the book in which is recorded all the secrets and mysteries of mankind through the ages. It was a creepy, scary show. Yeah. And uh, written by Robert A. Arthur and David Kogan. They were the two guys that created the mysterious Traveler and the strange Dr. Weird. And what they would do is recycle their scripts. So they, all 26 scripts that were dramatized on the sealed book were actually derived from earlier mysterious traveler scripts, but with a different cast. Mm -hmm. So it was a completely different broadcast, but same storyline. And that happened a lot. Like a lot of times escape and suspense had the same scripts, you know? Uh, I mean, it was expensive to write these stories, and so then they would recycle them. And they also sometimes. probably came across very differently with different actors. Yeah, they did. And under a different, you know, kind of uh, umbrella of a show sure. as well. All right, well, this uh, episode is called The King of the World, and it's from March 25th, 1945. This originally aired on this radio station in the Chicagoland area, WGN. Philip Clark is the host. Now, uninterrupted, here is the sealed book. <laughs> the sealed book. Once again, the keeper of the book is ready to open the ponderous volume in which is recorded all the secrets and mysteries of mankind through the ages. All the strange and mystifying stories of the past, present, and the future.
Keeper of the book, what tale will you tell us this time? Uh, what tale shall I tell you? I have here tales of every kind. Tales of murder, of madness, of dark deeds and events strange beyond all belief. <laughs> uh, let me see. Yes, yes. Here's a tale for you. A tale of a man who stole by force the secret of immortality, of life everlasting, and entered into a mad adventure. The title of the tale is King of the World. Here is the tale as it is written in the sealed book. It is late at night and the wind howls over the desolate countryside. In the darkness, a man runs frantically through the woods, trying to elude his pursuers. I've got to shake him, or it'll mean a ten-year stretch. Stop, or I'll shoot! That's twice they got me in the same arm. Oh, there's a house with a light in it. My only chance. If I stick to these trees, they won't be able to see me. I'm almost there. Here's a door. It's only unlocked. Oh, it is. Good evening. Now listen. Now listen close. A couple of guards from the Horton estate are after me. I'll be behind this door covering you with a rod. So you haven't seen me, you understand? I understand. That must be them. Remember, any tricks and I'll start blasting. I have no intention of being foolish. Okay, go ahead then. Open the door. Yes? What is it? There's been an attempted theft of the Horton Diamond, sir. We chased the crook this way. Have you seen anything of him? Why, no. Uh, there hasn't been anyone here tonight. Uh, we'll keep on going. Good night. Break on now. Uh, you did all right. I'm glad you're satisfied. Hey, what kind of a place is this? All those machines, bottles and things. This is my laboratory. What are you, a professor? Yes, you... Right. Uh, hey, what's that? Ah, your nerves are on edge. It's only my great Dane, Caesar. Come in, Caesar. We have a visitor. Hey, what's he growling at me for? I'm sorry. He always growls at strangers. Don't like him coming towards me that way. Keep him away, will you? Come here, Caesar. He, he won't listen to you. He's going to spring. Well, this will stop him. Get him off. Take him away. Here, Caesar. Here, stop it, I say. Stop it. That's better. I think I'd better put the chain on you, Caesar. Uh, did he hurt you? Look, I put three slugs into that dog. Why isn't he dead? He isn't even wounded. You must have missed. You say I missed him, do you? I won't miss him this time. Uh, I suppose I missed him that time, eh? Why isn't he dead? Well, the truth is, in this laboratory, I've created a serum that has the power to defeat death. I call it Serum L. L for life. You mean the stuff protects you from a bullet or a knife wound? In a way, yes. Swifter than the eye can see, it heals all wounds. The damage is repaired in a fraction of a second. Yeah. My serum is what protected Caesar. A shot of that stuff and you can't be killed. It sounds screwy, but that dog. Four slugs and not a mark on him. Look, Professor, I'm going to make a deal with you. A deal? Yeah. I'll let you keep on living if you'll give me a shot of that serum. 
But that's impossible. It hasn't been perfected. What do you mean it hasn't been perfected? It saved the dog, didn't it? Yes, of course, but I'm still in the experimental stage. I don't know how long the serum is effective or the condition in which it leaves the body after it has worn off. You're wasting time, Professor. I'd hate to have to persuade you. I see. Do you understand the responsibility is all yours? That's all right, Professor. You let me do the worrying. Now, come on, let's have a shot of that stuff. Very well. You roll up your sleeve. Sure. And don't try pulling a fast one, Professor. It won't be healthy. May I ask why you're so anxious to have my serum? Any guy in my racket who can take a slug and not feel it would be top man. I see. Just hold still a moment. All right, go ahead. Uh, that's all. Hey, my wounds. They're gone. Why, there isn't even a mark on my arm to show where they were. I told you it healed faster than the eye could see. Yeah. It's like a miracle. Think of it. I can't be killed. Nothing can stop me now. I can move in on all the rackets and take them all over. Yes, sir, I'll be king of the world. Duke, what do you want to see me about? I'm kind of busy. I won't take up much of your time. I'm after a job. Well, I'd like to give you one, but I have a room for another man. You're wrong. There's one job in your racket that's going to be open soon. Yours. Mine? Yeah. <laughs> Duke, you've got a funny sense of humor. Yeah, I know. But this is one time I'm not kidding. You better be kidding or it might not be healthy for you. I don't have to worry about my health anymore. You'd better go while the going's good. I like it here. You're the one who's leaving. Right now. You haven't got a gun, Duke. The boys saw to that. <laughs> and I have. You're a little nervous, aren't you, Williams? Stay where you are. I'll let you have it. I don't scare easily. Not anymore. You ask first. <clears throat> Couldn't have missed. I won't this time. Don't seem to be able to stop me, Williams. I shot you. I tell you, I shot you. Why did you fall? Oh. No, it can't be. I put six bullets into you. Why did you fall? Your gun is empty now, Williams. It's just you and me. No, don't, don't. I'll do anything you say. Stay away. Too bad, Williams. You should have resigned when I gave you the chance. But you would be stubborn. That's what they'll all get if they stand in my way. Hello, Mike. Come on in. <laughs> I'm just totaling up the take for last month. Gonna be quite a haul. Ah, Duke, you're headed for trouble. You've been expanding too fast, stepping on too many people's toes. They don't want to get stepped on. They better stay out of my road. <laughs> they tried to bump me off a half a dozen times in the past month, and I'm still alive. Yeah, Duke, what is it that keeps you up even after they put a dozen slugs into you? Your job is to carry out my orders, not to ask questions. Oh, I, I didn't mean anything by it. I hope you didn't. Now, look, I want you to pick up a fast car. We're going after the Horton Diamond tonight. The Horton Diamond? Yeah. Ah, Duke, that's suicide. We're cleaning up right here. Why risk our necks on a dangerous job? Because I want the Horton Stone. The way I got it figured, we can't miss. Remember, their guns can't stop me. 
you 70 the best you can get out of this car? I got my foot down to the floor now. Hey, look at that diamond, Mike. Isn't that a beauty? Think of it. I got a half a million bucks right in my hand. Yeah, a lot of good it's going to do us if we don't shake that police car. Yeah, you're right. They're hanging on. We got to shake them. Uh, there's nothing more I can do. I'm pushing this crate as fast as it'll go. All right, look out for this curve. We're taking it too fast. Hey, I can't control look it. Look out. We're going over it. that car with you. They must have been doing all of 70 when they crashed. Yeah. They'll sure have a hard time identifying this guy behind the wheel. What a mess. What about the other guy? Let's have a look. Say, there isn't a mark on him. He's unconscious, but he doesn't appear to be hurt at all. But he must be after a crash like this. Take a look for yourself. I tell you, this guy is gonna live. Uh, a lot of good it'll do him. After killing two guards of the Horton estate, he's headed to the electric chair. <laughs> story of the king of the world as it is written here in the sealed book. Duke Farson, having been duly tried and sentenced for the murders he committed, is being strapped into the electric chair. <laughs> Warden, you're wasting your time. This isn't the last mile for me. I'm one guy you can't fry. All right, Richards, we can proceed now. <laughs> Uh, 
Will you examine the body, Doctor? Sorry to disappoint you, Warden, but I'm not dead. But you must be. No man has ever lived through it. I'm not like other men, Warden. You can't kill me. Richards, unstrap the prisoner from the chair. What's happened must be due to a mechanical defect. That must be it. Uh, You look a little pale, Warden. Uh, It's good to get out of that chair. It's not very comfortable. But why are you all backing away from me? You afraid I'll hurt you? I'll just take this gun. Uh, That's better now. All right, Warden. Start marching. You're going to lead me to freedom if you want to live. Joe, wait. That's better. Hey, you look as though you'd seen a ghost, Joe. The papers are full of stories about your escape. They say the juice was turned on, and yet when it was over, you got up and walked away. Yeah, yeah, that's right. (laughs) I told him I was one guy too big to be killed. Look, Duke, I can't afford any trouble with the cops. You know I'm a three-time loser. Shut up. I'm still giving orders. You'll do as I say. The cops can only send you up for life. I can do worse. Don't talk like that. Duke, you know you can count on me. I'll do anything you say. Uh, you'd better. I'm going to hold up here for a couple of weeks until the heat's off. Meanwhile, I'm going to make plans, big yeah. plans. I'm bigger than just being the king of the underworld. If I organize things right, there's no reason I can't use the underworld to take over the rest of the world. Yeah, that would make me king of the world. Wouldn't be hard to either. Well, why is that clock so loud? I can't even hear myself talk. What clock? There isn't any in this apartment. Are you deaf? Can't you hear it? No, Duke, honest. I don't hear a thing. You must be imagining things. I don't know. I don't hear it so loud now either. Yeah, I guess maybe it was my imagination. Yet I could have sworn. Well, never mind. I got other things to think of. Big things. Why don't you sit down, Duke, and take it easy? I'm tired of sitting. Three weeks in this rat trap is enough for anyone. I've had about enough. The heat's on as big as ever, Duke. I never saw them as anxious to get anyone. Every time I go out, I expect some dick to trail me back to this hideout. Suppose you let me do the worrying, Sure, huh? sure, I... I was only talking. Uh, have you been having any more of those attacks lately? I'm okay. Stop talking about it. It's bad enough without having to be reminded about it. I don't want to hear... Hey, what's that? What, Duke? That buzzing sound. Keeps growing louder and louder. I don't hear nothing. Listen, you must hear it. It's a fly. Yeah, and it's getting louder. I tell you, I can't stand it. Why? Yeah. I don't hear it. Wait, there's one over there flying around us crack. Well, do something, will you? I can't stand the noise. It's driving me crazy. Take it easy, Duke. I'm doing my best. Tell it. Yeah. Oh, thanks, Joe. That's gone now. For a while, I thought I'd blow my top. Maybe you'd better see a doctor, Duke. You've been getting these attacks more and more these past three weeks. Uh, no doctor can do me any good. There's only one man that can help me. Who's that? That's the professor. <laughs> Oh, 
You, uh... You remember me, don't you, Professor? Yes, of course. I've been reading quite a bit about you in the papers lately, Mr. Farson. Uh, your serum was all right, Professor. It saved me from being electrocuted, but... I don't know, these last three weeks, something's happened, and I don't like it. Mm, suppose you tell me about it. I keep getting attacks. Maybe I'm listening to the radio. Everything's fine. Then all of a sudden, it grows louder, as though someone was turning it on full blast. Mm -hmm. It pounds on my head until I think I'm going crazy. Professor, I, I can't stand it. you you got to help me. You recall that when you asked for my serum, I told you it hadn't been perfected? Well? That I didn't know what effect it would have on the human body? Yeah, yeah, I know, but you, you got to help me now. I, I can't go on this way. I keep waiting for the next attack. Each one is worse than the last. You remember my great Dane Caesar, don't you? Yeah, sure. He tried to take a piece out of my throat, didn't he? I'll open this trap door. You can see him in the cellar. Huh? Yeah, there he is, Mr. Farson. Well, what's wrong with him? Why does he keep whining like that? Caesar, too, received an injection of the serum, Mr. Farson, six months before you received yours. Yeah? Now, every sound he hears is a hundredfold greater. I'm speaking to you in normal tone of voice. Yet to Caesar, I'm shouting unbearably loud. You, you mean that... Caesar has passed into a condition where every sound is sheer torment. To be quite frank, he went insane three months ago. Oh. Well, why don't you kill him? Put him out of his misery. You forget, Mr. Farson, that the serum still protects him from death. He can't die. And is that... Is that what'll happen to me in a few months? Yes. I'm sorry to say. But, Professor, there must be something you can do. Maybe you got another serum, huh? Anything. I've got money. I'm sorry, but uh, it isn't a question of money. I can offer you no help. I can't go on this way, waiting for each new attack. And then in the end, if only there was an end, if only I could die. Possibly there is a way out. There is? Tell me. I'll do anything. Well, as you know, my serum can prevent death from a dozen bullet wounds. But there might be one way its great healing powers could be defeated. Yeah, which way is that? If you were to use an explosive, a powerful explosive, you might blow yourself up into so many pieces that the serum would no longer be able to defeat death. Yeah. Yeah, I see what you mean. One of the mob once had an accident with nitro. They never found a trace of him. Yeah. Yeah, nitro. That would do the trick. Yes, quite possibly. If the attacks continue and they're beyond endurance, it may be your one way of escape. My my one way of escape? Once I thought that with your serum, I'd come to rule the world. Now I'm looking for a way out of it. you, Duke. Yeah. You expecting someone else? No. No, of course not. What are you so jittery about? Who, me? Yeah. I'm okay. What'd the guy you went to see say? He can't help me. No one can. What are you gonna do, Duke? There's nothing I can do but wait. Maybe, maybe he was wrong. Maybe I won't get them attacks anymore. After all, just because it happened to the dog doesn't mean that... that... Hey, what's that? That steady pounding. It's growing louder and louder. Must be another attack. I, I can't stand it. It keeps pounding, pounding, 
Louder and louder. Maybe it's the faucet in the kitchen. It's been leaking lately. I'll have a look at it. I can't go on this way. I can't. I can't. It's gone now, but there'll be another attack. And then another. The faucet was leaking. I just turned it off. Was that what was troubling you, Duke? Yeah. It's no use. I can't go on this way, waiting for it to happen all the time. And then ending up like that dog. What dog? Never mind. Get out the car. We're going on a little trip. Trip? Yeah. Where to, Duke? Upstate to the old hideout. I'm going to try to take the one way out. Duke, won't you tell me what we come to this old place for? You'll see. Come on. What are you looking around for? Nothing. Nothing at all. Have you got the shovel? Yeah. Won't you at least tell me what we need the shovel for? You're going to do some digging for me in the cellar. There's something buried in the cellar? Yeah, nitro. All right, here's the cellar door. Nitro? You mean that's what's buried down there? Yeah. We stored it here for safe-cracking jobs. Now I got a better use for it. You are going to get me to dig it up. It'd be suicide. You saved this gun, don't you, Joe? You haven't much choice. Now start down those steps. But... I can't see. It's pitch dark down here. That's okay. Just feel your way down the steps. We get to the bottom, I'll light a candle. Dude, please don't make me... Keep going. Dude, that was the bottom step. What about lighting the match? Okay, just a second. I've got one here. Really, Ross? I got his gun. I got him. Let go of me. I gotta reach that night so Let's go. Get him, coppers. Get him or he'll blow us all over. Ah, you rack. You squeal on me. Hold that light on him, Jordan. Well, I slipped the coat I got him. You've got to let me get to the nitro. It's the only way I can die. He's as crazy as a loon. Yeah. A place for this guy's in a padded cell. Farson, then you go. All right. uh, there. You won't be able to hurt yourself in that nice padded cell. All right. And you won't be able to hear any of those loud noises again, no, either. No, no noises. There aren't any radios or watches or automobile yeah. horns that can bother you in that cell. Yeah. It's guaranteed 100% soundproof. <laughs> now, be a good boy. Oh, you got to let me go. I want to die, do you hear? You can't let me live and suffer these attacks. Let me out of here. Let me out, do you hear? I can't stand... It's starting again. Another attack. It's growing louder and louder. A steady pounding. It's my heart beating. Growing louder and louder. I can't stop it. I can't stop it. I can't stop it. And that is the story of the king of the world, as it is written in the sealed book. Years have passed, but Duke Ferguson is still locked up in the padded cell. Day and night he begs to be executed, and yet at the same moment he knows he can't die. That the serum in his blood has given him immortality and sentenced him to a life filled with torturous sounds from which there is no escape. 
There is no escape. It is so written here in the sealed book. But the sound of the great gong tells me I must close the great book once again. One moment, keeper of the book. What story from the sealed book will you tell us next time? Next time? (laughs) What shall it be? A tale of madness? Of terror? Of dark deeds in far lands? For I have them here. All the stories that ever happened. And many that have yet to come to pass. But I'll find one for you in just a moment. Keeper of the book, have you found the story you'll tell next time? Yes, yes, I found one. It's a story about a ruthless man who put money above all and wouldn't stop at murder to achieve his ends. The title of the tale is Death Spins a Web. Be sure to be with us again next time. And the great gong heralds another strange and exciting story from... (laughs) The Sealed Book. The Sealed Book, written by Bob Arthur and David Cogan, is produced and directed by Jock McGregor. Ooh, that was creepy, Lisa. The Sealed Book, March 25th, 1945. The King of the World, with Philip Clark there as the host. I heard Maurice Tarplin... As one of the supporting players in there, Maurice Tarplin was the mysterious traveler. He was also Inspector Faraday on Boston Blackie. Hope you enjoyed the sealed book. Let's take a quick break. Then it's more. And I want to talk to you about Vistro. Oh, I want to talk to you about Because I ordered my food right after these words. I meet you in a 
secret rendezvous Why must we steal away to steal a kiss or two Why must we wait to do the things we want to do Lisa, you convinced me to try Vistro, and I did order my food, and I'm waiting for it. I'll get it this week. So let's tell everyone who hasn't been listening for the last few weeks what exactly Vistro is. All right. So Vistro is the best vegan meal delivery service. Right. Okay. So if you're a vegetarian or a vegan, you will absolutely love this, and if you're not like then, me, I'm not. Like you, what an opportunity it is to try something new that's very healthy, super delicious, and 100% plant-based. Right. And uh, all organic food. All organic ingredients, yeah. preservative-free, just good, healthy, chef-prepared meals delivered right to your door. And you know what I think is so great, besides the fact that it's so convenient and it comes right to your door, you know, it's frozen, you just pop it in the microwave or in the stove. What I think is really great for our listeners, because there's a lot of our listeners are empty nesters, right? They're at home. You know, why go to the grocery store all the time? Why not have super healthy food delivered right to your door? Maybe it's just you and your wife now. Maybe your kids are grown and they're out of the house, you know, and these come to you. It's so convenient. You're, you and your wife could just pop them in the microwave, watch TV, and enjoy super healthy, delicious food. I like it, too. I'm not an empty nester, but it really saves time. I'd rather have, leave it to the experts and let them prepare. they have chefs they have, there. Leave it to the experts and yeah. let them prepare the super healthy, super delicious food. So what did you order this week? I'm trying to remember now. Uh, I, I definitely got the country fried chicken. I, mean, I love and the I know that it's chicken. not real chicken. It's plant-based, but... You know, you watch TV now. They're talking about this um, this Whopper, this, uh, what do they the call Impossible it? The Impossible Burger. Burger. And it looks so good. Have you never tried I've it? I've not tried one. I, I'm, not a, I'm, I'm not a Burger King Okay, I'm going to take you to Burger King, and it's I'm going really to have you. I love the Impossible Burger. Yeah. But I love Vistro even more. Way, way, way better, right. I, I did um, order the Pad Thai noodles, which I love, Pad Thai, and then uh, veggie lasagna. I remember I got some veggie lasagna. Delicious. I'll bet you that's going to be great. Every I, I haven't tasted anything that's not great. And then Tuscan calzone. I remember I ordered some of those. And then for breakfast, because you were talking about the oatmeal... Um, what is it? The oatmeal like? breakfast pie. Yeah, the pie. It's like this, an oatmeal pie. 
It has, you know, I don't Apples have the ingredients in, in front too. of me. It's got some fruits mixed in and, and it's I can't wait to oatmeal try that. and it's super delicious. It's a wonderful breakfast and again, very healthy and let them deliver it right to your door. It comes in fresh and it comes frozen. Yeah. You know, the other thing too, you can choose from like a high protein or gluten-free or low calorie, which gluten-free, that's important because like Dan Jaffe, He's gluten free. My a, daughter, your a daughter, daughter. As well. a lot of people I know, I know, are gluten free. It's here's, all customizable. Perfect. So you choose what's right for they you. They have nut free, soy free. They have kosher. So they really know what they're doing at Vistro. V e e s t r o dot com. Why don't you check it out? Go there and uh, check out all of the uh, food that they have. I did. I can't wait to get it I this can't week. wait for you to taste it, but take it from me. I'm telling you that I have done my research and my homework, and it is truly the number one very best vegan meal delivery service around. Check it out. You will be glad that you did, and I would love to get your feedback on that mm-hmm. as well. Well, I'm going to tell you when I get it. Oh, I bet you and will. don't forget, <laughs> Vistro has two E's. It's V-E-E-S-T-R-O dot com. So uh, can't wait. I can't wait. All right. In our next hour, we are going to tune in to Suspense. And as you know, Lisa, because we play a lot of Suspense episodes here on the WGN Radio Theater, I think Suspense may be the best radio series of all of the golden age of radio. I mean, because it had all the biggest movie stars on it. It had the best writers. It had the best actors, the best directors. It had a full orchestra. You know, it was really a top-notch series. Wasn't that the radio show that that all the celebrities really was highly coveted to get a role on Suspense? Oh, yeah, Suspense. You know, what, what was great about it, you know, even they would even have comedians like Jack Benny was on there, Phil Harris was on there playing, playing you know, dramatic roles. roles. Yeah, it was always a dramatic series. And what an opportunity for the listeners yeah. to, to hear them in such different oh, roles it was than such we're a used great to. Show. So that's coming your way. Joseph Cotton stars on Suspense in our next uh, hour, along with Just the Facts. Stick around. Oh, wait, we have, we another, have another minute. I don't know why minute. you're hurrying me. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, um, well, we have that for you We uh, with Joseph Cotton. You know, Joseph Cotton was in the Third Man movie. We talk about the yep. Third Man a lot, Orson yep. Welles. And, yeah, he's going to star in a, a program called The Philomel Cottage. Ooh, you're going to like it. It's a mystery show. Don't miss that. And, uh, and don't forget, you know, we have a podcast of the show. All the time people are saying, hey, we missed an hour, we fell asleep, or this or that. It seems nearly impossible. Shante Garth, our producer, puts the podcast up. Pretty much a few minutes after the show. She's really quick. Don't want to miss that. So where's the podcast, Carl? Do you know? Well, I just Google <laughs> WGN you, Radio Theater podcast. Yeah, you can do that. Or you can go to the you can go to WGNRadio.com yeah. and you can find our show, WGN Radio Theater, and click on it. And all of our podcasts are there. So you can go, you know, a little ways back just as well.
Hour 4 of the WGN Radio Theater. And, you know, I think I said that the title of this suspense episode is The Philomel Cottage. That's wrong. The uh, suspense episode is called The Pasteboard Box with Joseph Cotton. And uh, it's a 1946 broadcast. We will tune that in in just a few minutes. Before that, though, we will have just the The facts. facts. And we're going to learn all about 1946. Uh, That is all coming your way right after these words. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you're about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. This is Just the Facts for Hour 4 from 1946, which is the year of the suspense episode we are about to play. So going back to 1946, I am about to play a song, a very famous song from a very famous musical that opened in uh, May of 1946. And we'll see if you can tell me what that is. Anything you can do, I can do better. I can do anything better than you. No, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, I can. Yes, I Anything you can be, I can be. So that is sung by Ethel Merman in the original cast recording of the Broadway show. The King and I? (laughs) (laughs) So close, so close. That's Annie Get Your Gun. I would have never in a million, trillion (laughs) years All right, well, that's how you and I are different. Is that like Annie Oakley? Yes, it is. That that sure is. Mm -hmm. That's sharpshooter Annie Oakley. Yeah. So this opened May of 46 and closed in February of 49. Mm -hmm. So this is music by Irving Berlin, and the original Broadway show opened at the Imperial Theater, starring, of course, Ethel Merman, and ran for 1,147 performances. Wow. Right? That was truly a big success. Mm-hmm. Bernadette Peters was the last person mm. to originate the role of Annie She's Oakley. She's a good singer. I like Bernadette yeah, Peters. Yeah, she, that was a Broadway revival, yeah. of course, of Annie Get Your Gun, and she won a Tony Award for that. Right. Right. Great show. Yeah. Doesn't really hold up through time, but it's a classic. You know what movie... That um, Bernadette Peters was in. It was so cute. Mm. The Jerk with Steve Martin. Oh, wow. That was uh, way back. That's a great movie. Yeah, I've seen Bernadette in uh, Vegas a few times. Yeah. She's a great she's performer. She's a cutie patootie. She, she's great. <laughs> so a uh, important book that was written in 1946 is called The Common Sense Book of Baby and Child Care by... Dr. Spock. Dr. Spock. Ah. Dr. Benjamin Spock. Are you surprised I knew that? Did you read it? Does he have like really pointy ears, Dr. Spock? <laughs> Dr. Spock. Does he have really pointy in, ears? In Star Trek, he does. Oh. So... So, of course, There's he was... two Dr. Spock. I guess so, okay. yeah. He was a pediatrician. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a 1946 I hope so if he book. wrote a book about babies. Well, you could be a um, well, I mean, gynecologist. I don't know. <laughs> right about babies. So I don't know. The book's premise to mothers is that you know more than you think. But, of course, he was very controversial during his time. And, um, he came from another planet, too, That Dr. That Spock. is true. Um, by 1998, it sold more than 50 million copies. Wow. Now, That's I don't know if seller. this is true, but listen to this quote, okay? Uh-huh. According to the New York Times... 
Baby and Child Care, that book, was throughout its first 52 years, the second best-selling book. Behind the Bible. Yes. Mm-hmm. That is, well, that's, The Bible always is. The Bible one. always wins. Yeah. This was number two throughout wow. its first 52 years. Wow. Important book in 1946. Man. So also, 1946, De Beers, we were talking about diamonds earlier, <laughs> launched an advertising campaign for diamond engagement rings with the slogan, what? Do you remember? I don't remember. Well, if you were a girl, you probably would. Because, well, then that's uh, why I don't remember, because I'm not a girl. <laughs> very successful advertising campaign, A Diamond is Forever. Yeah. So the strategy included... Unless you lose it. Unless you lose it or you get divorced. The strategy included putting... <laughs> no, the girl a, usually keeps the diamond even after could, the divorce. Or they could, you know, turn it in and get some money out <laughs> of the deal. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so the strategy included putting a diamond is forever advertising in, in magazines, but also they arranged for lecturers to go to high schools, yes, high schools, to talk about the value of diamonds. Yeah. Right? Well... Good marketing. Good marketing. Start early. Start early and think about it. They also financed a weekly newspaper called Hollywood Personalities. Yeah. So description of the diamonds worn by celebrities. All righty. Way to go, Lisa All Wolf. All righty, You know Carl. a lot about diamonds. I know well, that. Well, you know. Diamonds are <laughs> a girl's best friend. friend. There you go. Uh, all right. Very good. Was that from Hello, Dolly? I think no. That, no, something else. I don't remember. All right. Well... <laughs> How about Suspense? Uh, Ready let, for let, Suspense? Yes, this is a great, great show. mystery series. Came to radio in 1942. It was considered by many to be the best mystery drama series of the golden age of radio. And one of the reasons, Lisa, is because it had top directors. William Spear, Norman McDonald, Elliot Lewis, William N. Robeson. These are the biggest names in directing of radio series. Built as radio's outstanding theater of thrills, it really was uh, a top show with the biggest Hollywood celebrities. Clark Gable, Cary Grant, Jimmy Stewart, Henry Fonda, Humphrey Bogart, Betty Davis, Orson Welles, they all appeared on Suspense. And for a while, the series had a host known as the Man in Black, and he was played by Ted Osborne and later by Joseph Kearns. The sponsors, one of them, your favorite drink. Roma, Roma wines. wines. Yeah. She never leaves home without her Roma yeah, I have wines. have a big supply. And then Autolite Spark Plugs was another sponsor. It ran about 20 years on the radio, almost a 1,000 broadcasts, and then it made a transition to television. But we have a radio broadcast for you now called the Pasteboard Box. This is a creepy one. Joseph Cotton stars from January 17th, 1946. Uninterrupted, here is Suspense. Now, Roma Wines, R-O-M-A, made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. Roma Wines present Suspense. Tonight, Roma Wines bring you Mr. Joseph Cotton, a star of The Pasteboard Box. A suspense play produced, edited, and directed for Roma Wines by William Spear. Suspense, radio's outstanding theater of thrills, is presented for your enjoyment by Roma Wines. That's R-O-M-A, Roma Wines. Those excellent California wines that can add so much pleasantness to the way you live, to your happiness and entertaining guests. 
to your enjoyment of everyday meals. Yes, right now a glassful would be very pleasant as Roma Wines bring you Mr. Joseph Cotton in a remarkable tale of Suspense. Save it, Walter. I've taken all of that I can. I'm through, you understand? Through. <coughs> oh, I'm sorry, sir. I couldn't help but over here. What's the difference now? I, I hope you haven't quarreled seriously with your brother, Quarreled? What else have I ever done with him but quarreled? Well, I realize it's a bit difficult at times, sir, but I'm sure he has your best interest at heart. Yeah, well, from now on, he can stop worrying about my best interest because I'm getting out of his life tonight for good. Grabbed my hat and coat and rushed out of the house, looking wild-eyed and distracted. I caught a taxi right in front of the door. Told him to go to the 23rd Street Ferry. On the ferry, I stood by the stern rail. I walked up and down, puffing hard on a cigarette, looking out into the fog and acting nervous and jumpy. I leaned against the rail and bowed my head down on my arms. Two or three people standing around I began to look at me. Then, when we were out about third way in the middle of the stream... I took off my coat that had my name and address written with indelible ink on the label, and my hat that had my initials stamped in gold on the sweatband, and laid them down on the deck, climbed up on the rail, and jumped. It was as easy as that. A fight with my brother that was loud enough so the houseman couldn't help but hear it. A jump off the 23rd Street ferry, leaving plenty of identification behind. An easy swim back to shore where I'd planted my dry clothes and a phone call to the news to report my own suicide. It was just as easy as that. On Friday afternoon, I waited across the street until I saw Williams, the houseman, leaving for his usual weekend. And then I let myself in the front door and walked back to the study. Come in, Williams. I thought you'd gone. Hello, Walter. Jack. What's the matter, Walter? You look as though you'd seen a ghost. I... Jack. Haven't you seen the papers? I thought you were dead. Yeah. I changed my mind. Jack. Jack, how, how could you? How, how could you have done such a thing? I didn't. I, I just went swimming, that's all. Don't tell anyone I'm here. Yes, this is Mr. Parcell. Yes, I told you once it was broken. I'm sure I don't know. I, I know I certainly didn't do it. Yes, it's still in the box. I'll send you the pieces if you like. Well, that's a little late, I'm afraid. Oh, oh, it doesn't matter anyway. It's, it's the principle of the thing. Besides, I'm going out of town. Yes. <coughs> Yes, I suppose there will be someone here to receive it. All right. All right. Silly. Goldfish bowl. What? You know, I ordered a larger one and it arrived this morning all smashed up and they were arguing about sending me a new one. There it is in that big square box. You can see for yourself it's smashed. Hmm. Certainly like you, Walter. At the last minute... You're worrying about a two-dollar goldfish bowl. What do you mean, the last minute? Well, you just said over the phone you were going out of town. Yes. What's the idea? Well, Jack, I... I was terribly upset when I heard that... 
well, when I thought... I'll bet. Where are you going? Well, I... I hadn't quite made up my mind. I... I, I just wanted to get away. Hmm. Taking quite a lot of luggage for just a little trip out of town, aren't you, Walter? Clearing the papers out of your desk, too, huh? <clears throat> uh, uh, yes, I, I simply thought I... <clears throat> well, I, I could get a little work done while I was away. Or were you thinking of staying away for a while because somebody might ask you some questions about why I jumped in the river and the answers might make you look like a heel? Of course not. Such an idea never occurred to me. You always were yellow. You'd run away from anything. Jack, that's quite enough. That's right. Those are the truest words you ever spoke. And I wouldn't bother about packing luggage anymore if I were you. Why not? Because where you're going, you won't need any luggage. What do you mean? This is what I mean. Jack! Jack! Don't! You're joking! You won't need any luggage anymore, brother. It's like Cain felt about Abel, I suppose. There he was lying on the floor, looking as though it was me lying there, only it wasn't, it was him. And I was glad. It's a funny thing about twins, being one yourself, you'd notice them more than most people would. And all the twins I'd ever known had... Got along good, extra good. But not me and Walter. I hated him ever since I could remember. I hated him because the old man was about the only one who could tell us apart. And it was Walter he always called to him, not me. I hated him for what he got and what I didn't. I hated him because he was always good. And I was bad. I hated him because the old man left everything he had to him. And it wasn't hay either. Because I couldn't do anything about it. On account of that forgery rap I'd taken... And I hated him for the way he'd he'd taken care of me since I got out of jail and thrown it in my face every chance he got. I hated him for all those things and a lot more. And I was dead and I killed him. And I was glad. You don't believe me? Brother, I felt great. I went over to the mirror and combed my hair over on the left side like his. I locked the study door and went upstairs to the bathroom and shaved off my mustache. He was clean-shaven. I went back to the bedroom and put on one of his suits. When I got through and stood in front of the big, full-length bedroom mirror, I looked the spitting image of him. No one in the world could have told that I wasn't Walter Parcell. In fact, I was Walter Parcell. Went back to the study. All I had to do now was dispose of the evidence. But first, I... I couldn't resist looking around. It was mine now, all mine. Those stupid fish he had all over the place and glass tanks and the books he never read and all the, all the rest of it. In his desk was a list of all the bonds and securities and the number of his safe deposit box and accommodation to the safe and the bank book, all nice and neat. On the desk was a picture of Helen Winters, the little vixen he was engaged to and I made a mental note that I'd at least have to call her before I left town and look funny if I didn't. <laughs> I might even do more than call her. Well, there's no use stalling any longer. It had to be done. 
I got the body over my shoulder, carried it upstairs and put it in the bathtub. I locked the bathroom door from the inside. Then I got to work. Suspense, Roma Wines are bringing you as star Joseph Cotton in the pasteboard box by Joe Grenzebach. Roma Wines presentation tonight in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. Between the acts of Suspense, this is Truman Bradley for Roma Wines. Here's a simple secret about entertaining that has won compliments for many a hostess. The next time you have dinner guests, keep them pleasantly occupied during that hour before the meal by serving Roma California Sherry. Serving Roma Sherry before dinner has become a friendly American custom. Yes, glorious golden amber Roma Sherry with tempting fragrance and intriguing nut-like taste is the perfect first call for dinner. And you'll find Roma Sherry equally pleasing with a tasty evening snack. A delightful wine to serve any time. Roma Sherry, like all Roma wine, is a true natural wine. Crushed from choicest grapes. Grown in California's finest vineyards. Then unhurriedly, guided to taste perfection by Roma's ancient winemaking skill. Bottled at the winery for unvarying goodness. Delight your family, your guests with delicious Roma Sherry. Now selling at the lowest prices in years. Insist on Roma, R-O-M-A, for uniformly high quality at low cost. Remember, more Americans enjoy Roma than any other wine. And now Roma Wines bring back to our Hollywood soundstage Joseph Cotton as star of The Pasteboard Box, a play well calculated to keep you in suspense. It was early morning before I was able to leave the house. I walked to the nearest subway with a suitcase, a heavy suitcase, because it was also weighted down inside with old furnace grates and sash weights. I got off the subway at Dykeman Street and took the Dykeman Street ferry to Jersey. About halfway across, the suitcase that I had up on the rail as though it was something for me to lean on just sort of uh, slipped out of my hands into the river. <laughs> I looked mad and, and foolish and... People that saw it happen snickered behind their hands. Nice to see that. That was that? I just dropped a suitcase over. <laughs> About an hour later, the same thing happened on a 42nd Street ferry, and the mortal remains of Walter Parcell were gone. All but his head. At first, I hadn't know what to do with that head. Wouldn't fit into either of the suitcases, no matter what I did, and then I thought of that box. That big pasteboard box that the goldfish bowl had come in. It was still sitting there in the corner of the desk. I waited it and wrapped up the outside in the paper that it had come in and started out again, the 14th Street Ferry this time. I had it balanced up there on the rail just like I'd had the others and then... Hey, look out! Oh, it's all right, mister. I've got oh, it. Oh, let go. Oh, I've got it. What's the matter? Oh, I, I, I thought you dropped it. Oh, no. No, here it is. Hey, that was close, all right. Another second and it would have been gone for good. Yeah. It had been gone for good, all right. 
Walking across 14th Street on the way back from the ferry, people were pushing behind me, and the next thing I knew, I was in a department store. I was walking down one of the aisles just, just to keep moving and not attract attention when, when it hit me right between the eyes. There was another box, a box just like mine. It was sitting up there in one of the counters, and next to it was an old guy looking at some bow ties. I walked over and put my box on the counter next to his, and I pretended I was waiting for the clerk. Then after a couple of minutes, I pretended to change my mind. I picked up the box, uh, his box, of course, and started for the door. Say, I say that. I say, sir, you've taken my box. Oh, what do you mean, your box? Let go of me. But it is. It's my box. You left yours there on the counter. Oh, are you crazy? Let go, I What's tell you. What's the trouble here? Why, this man's got my package and won't give it back. Oh, shoplifter, huh? No, no, it's not that. He left a package of his own there, but he insists that mine is his. Now... What's in it? A parchment lampshade. I bought it at your furniture department just now. Uh-huh. The girl will uh, confirm that. What's in yours? What? Mine? Yes, what's in your box? Why, well... Uh, well, there, we'll it, open uh, it up and see. Uh, no, no, no. It's you the only be, no, way uh, to tell. Open them both up. You think this is your package? Uh, then? No, wait. I, I made a mistake. Uh, it isn't. Uh, here, now give me mine. Now, just a minute. Uh, give it to me. Just a minute. Can you prove... Give it to me. Oh, give it to him. It's his... I saw him put it there. Very well, thank but you, I... Thank you. Why? He acted like a madman. Maybe I did act like a madman. I guess I did because I was pretty close to panic when I got out of the store. I started walking and I just walked. I don't know how far, how long, but all I could think of was, what will I do now? What will I do with it? What will I do with it? I didn't snap out of it until I found myself a half a block from home and not knowing how I got there. All I knew was I still had that box and I had to get rid of it. Then I saw the sewer, a corner sewer with a big, wide opening. I crossed over to it as though I were going to step up on the curb. I stumbled. I gave it a good kick. Slid in, and I heard it fall. (sighs) I got home, and a half hour later, I was just beginning to relax. The doorbell rang. I went out in the hall, switched on the vestibule lights, and opened the door. There stood a couple of kids. Guess this is yours, ain't it, mister? What? We were standing across the street when you dropped it. Then we saw you come into this house. That's how we know. We got some string and a fish hook and pulled it out. It is yours, ain't it? No. You mean it ain't yours? No, I never saw it before in my life. Now beat it. Oh, then we can open it, huh, Johnny? It, uh, oh, wait, no. I don't know. Maybe we ought to take it to the car. Yeah, you give that to me. Give it to me. But you said... I made a mistake. I didn't recognize it. I give it to me. Beat it. Well, aren't you glad to get it back? Huh? Oh, sure. Uh, here. Thanks. Gee, five bucks. There must be diamonds in that box. <sighs> it was back. The kids were hardly down the steps before I was out the house without a hat, a coat, or anything running toward Second Avenue. I didn't care who saw me now. Didn't dare stop for a taxi. I had to keep running. I couldn't stop for a second. I kept on running up 2nd Avenue to 59th Street, going out onto the bridge. I was still running, and I didn't stop until I got nearly to the middle. And then, then I threw it. Out over the railing as far as I could. I watched it arc down and saw the white splash in the darkness as it hit the water in a couple of hundred feet below. It was gone. No matter what, it was gone. Somehow, I got home. But it was daylight before I could get myself to sleep. Monday morning, I felt better. Got up fairly early and went down to study and make my plans. 
Seeing the picture of Helen Winters on the desk reminded me I ought to call her. If Walter left town without even calling the girl he was supposed to marry, it wouldn't look so good. There was no answer, so I hung up. Then I rang for Williams, the houseman. Yes, sir? Oh, oh Williams, uh, I'm, uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry to tell you this, but I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to have to let you go. Oh, oh I'm sorry to hear it, sir. If it's anything I've oh, done... Oh, quite the contrary. I've uh, found our um, <clears throat> association most pleasant, but uh, the death of my brother has been quite a shock, of course. Of course, sir. I'm going away. I don't know how long I shall be gone or when I shall be back or if I shall come back here at all. So uh, I thought it was best this way. Yes, sir. When will you be leaving, sir? Within a few days. There's no hurry, but I wanted you to be able to make your own plans. Uh, I'm making arrangements this afternoon to sell the house and the furniture. And the the uh, associations here are painful. Uh, you understand? I understand, sir. My brother Jack had his faults, of course. We, we all do. I know how you feel, sir. But after all, Williams, he was my brother. Yes, sir. Blood is thicker than water. You're so right, Williams. That first performance left me feeling pretty satisfied. The next one wasn't so easy. But for things to look right, it had to be done. So after breakfast, I went down to police headquarters. Well, what can we do for you, Mr. Parcell? Why, I'm, I'm going away for a while, and uh, I wondered if you had uh, <coughs> uh, recovered my... Poor brother's... Uh... Uh, his body? Yes. Uh, no, I'm sorry. We haven't, Mr. Parcell. Oh, I see. Uh, while you're here, though, there is something you might look at for us. Very well. Uh, this way, please. Mm. It's just a routine matter of identification, but we like to have these things on the record, you know. Of course, of course. Uh, something you uh, found? Yeah, that's right. Fished mm. it out of the East River this morning. The East River? That's right. The East River. For a minute, I just stopped breathing. Because it wasn't in the East River that I jumped off the ferry. That was on the other side of the island. The East River was where I'd thrown it. <sighs> and then I was all right again because I saw what he had. A pair of trousers. Mine. You recognize these, Mr. Parcell? Uh, oh, yes. Those are the trousers my, my brother wore the night he died. Uh-huh. Probably kicked him off and tried to swim to shore. Probably. Yeah, well, thanks, Mr. Parcell. That's all we need. Very well, but uh, you said the... East River, and it was the North River where poor Jack... Oh, could... carried down by the current and around by the tide. Mm. Caught in the propeller of a ship, maybe. Funny things happen in the waters around this island, Mr. Parcell? Yes. Yes, I imagine they do. So, that was all right, too. When I got out of headquarters, I went across the street to a pay station and phoned Helen Winters again. <laughs> no answer. I hung up. Then I went uptown to the bank, Walter's bank. I'd never been in it before in my life, and I'd been wondering how I'd know who to be chummy to, but I needn't have worried about that. Well, good morning, Mr. Parcell. Good morning. We were all terribly sorry to hear of your bereavement, Mr. Yes, Parcell. Yes, thank you. As a matter of fact, uh, that's what brings me here. I see. Something about the estate? Oh, no, 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 but... I shall want to uh, get into my safe deposit box. Why, certainly, Mr. Parcell. Thank you. Uh, 
Oh, uh, by the way, do you happen to know what my cash balance is? Just, just roughly. Uh... Roughly between thirty-two and thirty-three thousand. I'll want five thousand in cash. I'll make out a counter check. You can forward the rest when I've made banking connections in Mexico. Oh, Mexico! Mm. Well, do you expect to be in Mexico for any length of time? Oh yes, for quite a length of time. Oh. Shall we go down to the vault, sir? Oh, yes, by all means. I got out of the bank. It was raining, but I didn't care. I liked it. I was walking on air anyway, and I decided to walk home that way. It's nearly 30 blocks, and I was soaking wet when I got there, but what's a little rain to a guy with $100,000 in his pocket? The front door wasn't locked. In I went, and I hung up my hat and coat in the hall and was wondering whether to have a nice hot bath before calling Helen Winters. And when I saw it, it... The box, that horrible pasteboard box that had come back. For a second, I thought my mind had gone. But there it was, sitting on the desk. Wet and soggy and the limp paper peeling off as, as though it had been fished out of the river just that minute. And then I remembered I, I hadn't seen it sink. And what the cop had said about tides and currents. And then the doorbell rang. I rushed to the window. There was a police car outside. For the moment, I thought of grabbing up the box and running, escaping out of the bag somehow and... And I knew that wasn't any use. It didn't matter. If it was some sort of a police plan, it didn't matter anyway. And if it wasn't, if it was just another one of those terrible coincidences, there was still time. Whatever they wanted, I could bluff it through and there'd still be time. I pulled myself together and went out and opened the door. Yes? We're from headquarters. Yes. You're uh, Walter Parcell. Walter Parcell. They thought I was Walter Parcell. They didn't even know he was dead. That was all right. There was still time. I said, are you Walter Parcell? Uh, yes, I'm Walter Parcell. You know a young woman named Helen Winters? Oh, Helen Winters, of course. She's my fiancée. And I'm afraid you're going to have to come along with us, Mr. Parcell. With you, why? Helen Winters has been murdered. And I might as well tell you now that anything you say will be used against you. The evidence is pretty conclusive. That, that, that I? That I, you murdered her. I, I didn't, I couldn't. We found her this morning in the commentary report she was killed Friday night. You were seen entering the place that night and you were seen leaving. Uh, a gun that we traced to you was found in an ash can a block away. Now, what do you expect us to believe, Mr. Parcell? Uh, wait a minute. There, there's a mistake. There, there's been a terrible mistake. I, I'm not Walter Parcell. I, I'm his brother. Hmm? I, I'm his brother, Jack. The one who committed suicide? Yes, only, only I didn't. I, I changed my mind. I swam back to shore. I, I came back here, and I found Walter. He was dead. He killed himself. And now I know why. Don't, don't you see? Because he murdered the girl. You didn't report it. Where's the body? The body? Yes, yes, the body, the body. No, no, that's it. Now, look, look. Everyone knew I quarreled with Walter, and so I thought they'd pin it on me. I thought they'd say I killed him. So, so I disposed of the body. Then I took his place. We are, we're twins, don't you see? <laughs> Mr. Parcell, I've been in this business a long time, and I've had some beauties. But I never had a man ask me to believe one like that. It's true. I swear it's true. All right, then, where's the body? I threw it in the river with the weights. I thought so. Come on. Now, wait a minute. Come on, come on. I, I can prove it. I can prove it. Yeah, how? Because, because I've still got his head. His, his head? That would prove it, wouldn't it? Oh, wouldn't it? It certainly would. Come on. 
I'll show you here in that box, see? All right, open it. Sure, sure. I threw it in the river and it, it got back here somehow. It's, it's still wet, see? It's... <laughs> that doesn't look like anybody's head to me, Mr. Parcell. It's... To me, it looks like just an ordinary goldfish ball. <laughs> That was it, of course. The goldfish bowl he'd been arguing about on the telephone when I came back and found him packing up, running away, because he'd murdered his girlfriend. So, I don't know where Walter is now in those swirling tides and currents, but I know one thing. Wherever he is, he must be laughing his head off. Suspense. Presented by Roma Wines. R-O-M-A. Made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. Before we hear again from Joseph Cotton, the star of the pasteboard box tonight's suspense play, this is Truman Bradley for Roma Wines. Each day, more Americans are switching to Roma and discovering what a wonderful help Roma Wine is in making simple home entertainment successful. The reason... Taste, superb taste, for only pennies a glass. And, says famous hostess Elsa Maxwell, there's a Roma California wine to delight everyone. Rich, ruby-red Roma port, mellow, nut-like Roma sherry, smooth, golden Roma muscatel, and flame-bright Roma tokay. I give my guests their choice and share with them Roma's goodness. Each of these fine Roma wines may be served with cake, fruit, nuts, or other tasty snacks when guests drop in. Many prefer these wines with dessert. You'll find them delightful anytime. Get Roma wine tomorrow. You'll be amazed how little such taste luxury costs. For Roma wine, famed for uniformly fine quality, is now selling at the lowest prices in years. Insist on Roma. R-O-M-A. Roma Wine, made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. This is Joseph Cotton. I've enjoyed my appearance on Suspense as I always do. Next Thursday, a unique actress whom all of us here in Hollywood love and admire, as you do, will be the leading lady on Suspense, Dame May Whitty. Miss Whitty will appear as a kindly lady whose advertisement requesting genteel part-time employment involves her in a predicament which threatens first her freedom and then her very life. I'm sure we'll all want to make it a point to listen. Oh, oh and, and by the way, if you feel that, that the character I played tonight was a little, uh, well, shall we say, <laughs> extreme, please forgive me. I've never played twins before, and I guess, <clears throat> well, I guess I just lost my hand. Joseph Cotton appeared through the courtesy of David O. Selznick, in whose production Duel in the Sun he will soon be seen. Next Thursday, same time, Roma Wines will bring you Dame May Whitty as star of Suspense, radio's outstanding theater of thrills. Produced by William Spear for the Roma Wine Company of Fresno, California.
This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. That's a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. That is the Pasteboard Box starring Joseph Cotton in a very creepy episode sponsored by your favorite drink, Lisa. Rama Wines. She never, ever leaves never home leave, without it. Kind of like American Express. <laughs> never leave home without it. Hope you enjoy that uh, broadcast from January 17th, 1946. Now, you know why it's called... Uh, the greatest radio series of all time, Suspense. All right, we'll be back after these words. So, Lisa, you know what? You know who's coming here to start out the show next week? Coming, oh, I do. To give away another... That's uh, Dan Jaffe and Dave Weiss. Supply of, of Cat's Pride Kitty Litter. That would be our Cat's Pride guys. Yeah, you know what, folks? If you have not sent in a picture of your kitty cat, you're not entered. You need to get entered because you can win a year's supply of Cat's Pride Kitty Litter. Isn't that uh, it's, a great it's a, prize? It's a wonderfully generous prize, especially if you have a cat. <laughs> <laughs> what we, I guess you could use the kitty litter in your car in the winter, put it in the ba- over the over the tires in the back in the or trunk. Or then you could get a cat if you got the litter. Then right. you could buy a cat. Right. Or you could just choose to enter if you have a cat. Yeah. But either way, we love to have them come in. We appreciate the prize. And uh, it's a great opportunity to talk about Cat's Pride. Right. So the uh, CEO of Cat's Pride, he's actually the CEO of Oil Dry, which is the parent company. And one of their products is Cat's Pride. They're a Chicagoland company. Right. And they are our number one sponsor. They've been with us from day one Every single week, they are uh, sponsoring this radio show. We uh, we ask you to switch over to Cat's Pride if you're not already using Cat's Pride. And we give away, actually Dan does, very, very generous of him and, and Dave Weiske. They come in here and and select one of the photographs of a kitty cat, and they get a year's supply of Cat's Pride kitty right. litter. And if you've sent it in before, that's okay. Send it in again because yeah. you need to enter each month in order to be considered for the win. Yeah. So send a picture of your kitty cat to Cat's Pride Photo at gmail.com. That's Cat's Pride Photo at gmail.com. And include your name, your cat's name, your city, and your state, and we will have them here at the start of the show next weekend at 10 p.m. And yeah, you uh, could be a winner. You could be a winner. And your kitty cat will be a winner, too, because it'll get Cat's Pride kitty litter. <laughs> that's, that's a win-win. <laughs> and uh, let's see. Next week, we will be here at 10 o'clock. We're going to be here all the way till 3 o'clock in the morning. Full five hour show. Full five hour show. What's on the agenda? Uh, We're going to start with Inner Sanctum Mystery. Wait a minute. Inner Sanctum? I'm pretty sure. The best mystery series. Uh, well, I would say the I like best to choose horror. The good ones. It's like a horror it is series. Horror. I yeah. like to choose the good ones. Then okay. we go on to a comedy, Our Miss Brooks. Mm-hmm. We've got an episode of Escape. Ooh, radio's greatest series of high adventure. Uh, we've got Favorite Story. Yeah. You know what Favorite Story was? No. This is a really great concept for a radio series. We we don't play too many because there's not a lot in existence. But basically, it was a drama, it was a drama show. And they would um, they would say, okay, Orson Welles' favorite story, he wouldn't be on it. Ronald Coleman was the host, okay? Right. And they would say, Ron, they would say Ronald Coleman would say, Orson Welles' favorite story 
is Treasure Island, let's say, okay. right? And then they would dramatize Treasure, Treasure Island, Island with usually not any main stars, but Ronald Coleman was the host. Was that real or is that fictitious? That I no, mean, of their really favorite. So those their were favorite. their real yeah, favorites. Yeah, people would, you know, they'd ask, they would say, uh, Roddy McDowell, what's your favorite story? Or Clark Gable, what's your favorite story? And then they would, they would say, and you know this is so and so's right. favorite story, and they would dramatize it. Oh, that's so. Like I mean, fun. that's a good idea for I, a radio show. Well, we'll let it you aired know. Quite it sounds a, like a good. It one. aired like I think two or three years yeah. with Ronald Coleman. We as also host. have the Adventures of Michael Shane Detectives. Yeah, so that should be a lot of fun. Right, We've so got a great lineup. We have a horror episode. We have a comedy. We have a high adventure mystery show, a drama, and a detective show. Yeah. Good job, yeah. Lisa. It's a good, oh my good, good lineup. And if you want to uh, get five classic radio shows absolutely free, you can, in fact, you could do it right now. If you log on to 100 radio shows right now, okay, you go there at the very top of the website. So you just, uh, the URL is 100 radioshows.com you log on there at the very top of the website you uh, if you put your email address and you hit send what'll happen is you'll get jack benny you will get suspense <laughs> fibber mcgee and molly gunsmoke and richard diamond private detective now these are not just any old shows. These shows are digitally remastered. They sound amazing. They're full length. They're like 30 minutes long each. And it's our way of thanking you for listening to this radio show. So go to 100radioshows.com and uh, secure your five shows. You'll get an email from us instantly. Like right after you hit send, within a minute, you'll get an email from us. That's instant gratification. And, classic radio. Yeah, and there'll be the five links for the five shows. And then while you're there, there are seven collections, and each one of those collections has 100 radio shows in it. And if you decide to purchase any of those uh, radio shows at checkout, make sure to use the promo code... Radio. Lisa knows the promo code. <laughs> I would think She was so. paying attention. <laughs> yeah, use the promo code radio, and then you I, will... You get 70% off the list price. Yeah, 70% off. Not a bad way. And you know what? There are 700 radio shows available at that website. Which is the tip of the iceberg because we're adding more and more all the time. Yeah, we're working on a science fiction collection that will be added, so there'll be eight collections. But go to 100 radio shows. Dot com. If you go there, make sure you get your five free shows. And then if you purchase anything, use the promo code radio at checkout. So it is just about two o'clock. Make mm. sure to move your clocks ahead one hour. That's and, right. Um, happy daylight. You know, like in time. 20 seconds, it's actually going to be two o'clock and it's going to be three o'clock. That's right. We lost an <laughs> hour, but we'll get it back. <laughs> and then we'll be back here at 10 p.m. next week to uh, present five classic radio shows for you.